Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Chris Mookie-Gana-Harrington, coming at you live from St. Paul, Minnesota, and to my north by northeast, it is none other than Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston III, yeah. farmer. Yeah. Uh, I, I, how are you, Brandon? I'm well. I'm, I'm here live from frosty Buffalo, New York. Roughly. Well, you know, it's just as cold here. It was it was eight degrees eight on degrees. Thursday here. Yeah. Now we're, we're yeah. we've only gotten into the low 30s. There has been snow. There's snow on the ground right now. There was snow. Yeah, it on snowed. The ground snowed as I touched down in Minnesota, for leaving upstate New York. So yeah, I, it's December, I guess. Yeah, I can't complain that much. So uh, you, you're you wrestling tomorrow. Where are you wrestling? Oh, I'm wrestling tomorrow in Hamilton, probably by the time a lot of people listen to this. It will, it will be happening or have already happened, but I'm wrestling for Courage Pro Wrestling in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, Terrell Kenneth and I will be facing the Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. Yes. And uh, have you been working on cheat codes like we discussed? Yes, I've got the Game Genie out. I've been studying it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Pro Action Replay as well. Might might throw them for a loop because they're not expecting that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm memorizing uh, random uh, alphabetic codes, so hopefully that will uh, play to our benefit. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I, I got to spend uh, the weekend in upstate New York. We recorded last week yeah. from Rochester, yes. uh, well, you, where you I did. was at least. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what people's joke was about the uh, the the Lee Marshall road report was because I was so specific about where I was when I was calling into the show. But uh, yeah, it was a nice time. I got to see all my buddies, and uh, I got the the we you and I did not connect uh, partially because I had a a flight that required me to leave at four a.m. for the airport, mm-hmm. which meant I had to go to bed really early, and so by the time I would have left your 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 training school to get home in time for me to go to bed, I would have seen you for approximately 35 seconds. Oh, wow. No. I, I did hype up some of my students. They were very excited to meet you, but, but someday. Oh, geez. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as, as your friends will, will uh, tell you, that is a verb that is well known as to Mookie something is to have rock solid plans just disappear in front of your eyes. Oh, really? As Chris just no shows at the last minute. Yeah. I think that they were preparing their, uh, professional wrestling business questions for you they were they were ready to quiz you <laughs> i can't even imagine um but it was a good time and so i got on my airplane and right before i got on my airplane a very hairy gentleman walked by me 
Did I tell you this? No. A hairy gentleman? A man, yes, a very hairy gentleman with a, a, a robust beard and uh, uh, very sleep-deprived eyes. Braun Strowman? And, no, very close. Uh, Mr. Luke Harper. Oh, really? Uh, was on the same flight really? as me to Minneapolis. Wow. And so um, – he is uh, someone I've known for many years, so uh, we caught up, and uh, it was actually quite uh, chronicled in the Observer, probably to a detail that uh, I, I did not think was necessarily appropriate. But <laughs> it was. Uh, I haven't that, read yes, the Observer. His, What's in the Observer? Oh, okay. Oh, just that his his wife had a baby this weekend, oh, yeah. uh, a couple weeks uh, premature, and so the baby's doing well, the wife is doing well, the family's doing well, and they're all very very good. But uh, Harper literally got on a flight from Peru. Flew all the way back to America, got to Buffalo, and basically went out for coffee. And then while he's at coffee, they're like, "Get here now!" And so uh, got got to the hospital, and his son was born. So that was really exciting for him. And then literally, he was getting on. This was Tuesday morning, mind you. He was getting on a flight in New York and flying all the way out to California so he could do that Bludgeon Brothers squash match. Mm-hmm. And then he was, I think, going to try to fly home that night. So. <laughs> I think he did like, you know, 6,000 or six, probably more than 6,000 miles of air travel. He did like 10,000 miles of air travel in a uh, a week here alone, just uh, getting to and from Rochester, which is not a convenient airport to fly to and from. Rochester. I think it, he actually, yeah. I think he actually flew to Buffalo and had a car service pick him up. And then he tried to argue with the car service, like, here's where I really would like you to take me. So my wife, I can see my wife have a baby, but yeah. So there's a picture on my Twitter uh, nestled uh, about 15 replies deep, but uh, it's a picture of me and Harper uh, on the tarmac oh. at a uh, at I haven't seen that. There. And it was good because Harper also knows my wife, so mm-hmm. it was nice to catch up with everybody and and see him. And he uh, he is a professional wrestler in that he can sleep anywhere, and so he was out about 30 seconds onto the flight really? and didn't wake up until like 30 seconds till the door opened. Yeah, he is a uh, he's very good at that now. So that was fun because I not only got to see my friends, but I got to catch up a little bit with him. And I haven't seen him in a couple uh, – jeez, I think it was WrestleMania a couple years ago that I saw him. So it was really nice. No, actually last year I saw him. So I'm at his big party. Yeah, that was fun. So uh, that was a party. That was exciting. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but other people traveling across the world, uh, WWE went to New Delhi finally, this big India show. They did. That's just – the show, as, as we record, probably just wrapped up with – I don't know. Probably less than an, an hour, hour ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, I think somebody else main evented. I, I I gather. I think they put the shield on last. But the big news coming out of that is Triple H beat Jinder Mahal in his home country of New Delhi or home country of of India. I think they referred to it as his country of origin. I'm sorry, no, uh, his country. In some of these articles, <laughs> his home country. But his uh, yeah, he was he's Canadian, but, yeah. but he's of Indian descent. Yeah. Um, intriguing of course this india thing has been back and forth and back and forth for years uh they they did a tour back in the early 2000s they didn't tour again for many 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 years uh they signed this new tv deal and then as part of the promise of this new tv deal they basically said hey we'll come here more often and they came once i think last year was it Uh, and then january 2016 i believe last time they were there before today yeah, and so, you know, it was was coming, and they said, okay, we'll do it again. They, so they came once next year, and they were supposed to do two shows, and the two yeah. shows got collapsed into one show. Yeah. Uh, prior to even the um, AJ Styles, Junior Mahal title change, this was like, 
as I remember the timing for it, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I seem to recall because we discussed it on the same episode, I believe. But I'm pretty sure they they collapsed the shows and then they made the decision to uh, switch the title. But maybe it was the other way around. But they switched the title in the UK, and a lot of people just thought, why would you put a title reign go all the way to basically a couple weeks before you go to India and then just give up on the project and uh, at least uh, you could say they they were once again going for full bore in one direction and that is away from gender yeah it definitely looks that way um, to, to take the title off of him and uh, to, to to go from doing two shows to one show I mean, that's what we talked about a few weeks ago is that it looks like maybe they're, they're questioning this gender experiment or maybe they're giving up on it. Um, and you look at the result, you have Triple H going over on gender. So they, it, that tells me, I know Triple H is Triple H, but that tells me, you know, this is the same guy who's putting over Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and, and things like that. So this tells me, especially in his home country, or it's not his home country, but this is the, his country of origin, that maybe they're not as high on gender as they hoped uh he would be they maybe they hoped he would be this big star of india and maybe they tried and then, then maybe they saw that well the attendance for these two shows they were trying to run is not that good and we're even having to cut it down to, to one show and maybe he's not really hitting uh, any other markets throughout the world so maybe he's not and, and as big of a star you know, as we thought he was or hoped he would become I, I predicted week after week that during the lesnar aj match gender would come out and interfere gender had no presence whatsoever yeah. on Maybe on that entire show, if I if he, I'm he not did an mistaken. interview, but I don't, I don't think he appeared before yeah. the audience at all. So I mean, that was kind of interesting too. Was just that if you're trying to keep this program really hot and you're trying to you know kind of push him as a big star, you'd think that maybe you'd interfere that in that match, and they didn't. Yeah. So it, it could just say this was the conclusion of the story. Um, another interpretation of this could be if they only have one house show in India, and. You could argue maybe that's because the tickets are too expensive. They're just not, you know, it's not a live event market crowd that's going to buy tickets. And as we're going to talk you know, about here, they went to Abu Dhabi the day before. So maybe the uh, the choice was, well, we could either run twice in New Delhi like we planned on doing, or we could run once in New Delhi and, and, and then run the other day in Abu Dhabi, which I'm guessing Abu Dhabi is like a paid show. Maybe it's just very lucrative for them to do. So maybe it was just a, a better alternative to just run in Abu Dhabi. The, the and, previous day and so it makes me think what is the crowd composition in new delhi and while jinder mahal was probably treated like a big star there i bet you the hardcore fans which are the ones that are paying the money to go to these shows and the ones that are probably similar fans to have gone to these shows in the past in 2016 and 2002 all those other times triple h is a much bigger star to them because, you know, he's like the Kurt Angle. Yeah. You know, he's the guy. This guy's been that, a star for a couple decades. Exactly. So there's that mentality, too, which just says, you know, the bigger star should be the guy that, you know, if the fans are all there to see the big stars, put the big stars in the positions that are great. Especially if you're not coming back a month later and, you know, you're going to do a revenge program. So I am a little flabbergasted because I bet you if I pull up Triple H's uh history of singles matches over the last uh, especially on house shows um i'm kind of curious how many times he's actually won in the past two years on house shows yeah uh, cage matching this right now yeah i am i'm doing it live are you doing it as well I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with you as always so uh it shows that roman reigns beat him in the uae 
Uh, it shows that he beat Rusev in Portugal on the UK tour. Um, it shows that the he teamed with the Shield, of course, on the UK tour and uh, beat Wyatt, Cesaro, and Sheamus. He beat Rusev in Chile. So I guess when he went down to Chile to fill in for Kevin Owens. Yeah. Um, he did lose, of course, the non-sanctioned match at WrestleMania 33 against Seth Rollins. Um, and he lost uh, the road to WrestleMania match when it was a six-man of Jericho, Balor, Zayn versus Owens, Joe, and Triple H. And they did that three times in Buffalo and Toronto and in White Plains. Uh, and he lost in Spain when he teamed with Kevin Owens on the WrestleMania Revenge Tour at the very end of last year. So he is he's he is, been putting um, over Dean Ambrose. I'm seeing here in April of 2016, he put over Dean Ambrose on two house shows. In, yeah, in so you could say that there's a line, right? Yeah, you can, you can tell who's who are the chosen ones and who are not. And all three Shield members are are past that threshold. Rusev is not, and Jinder Mahal is not. Yeah, and. Balor, Zayn, and Jericho arguably are. Mm-hmm. So there's even some. Yeah. I see some singles. Oh, this is 2011. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. You're, getting, you're, you're pulling back to the Curtis Axel beating him on on Raw and whatnot. Yeah, it's I'm a, looking at a street fight from a house show from 2011 between Triple H going over on on Sheamus and, and MSG, <laughs> Del Rio, and yeah. But you know, the first thing that came to mind when you when you uh, send me a, a Twitter message that Triple H had in fact gone over Jinder was. That's because by the transitive property, <laughs> you cannot let, uh, uh, you know, gender be greater than sting exactly. because that would be a, a challenge for us, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I would just go back to that match. 2015. That would mess up your ELO why did, ratings. Why did Triple H have to beat Sting at WrestleMania? You know, that seemed like one that live the match barely made any sense. Um, I, I think their justification would be, hey, Triple H is going to have matches going forward mm-hmm. and Sting's not going to have as many matches going forward. Because yeah, Sting, but it was still Sting a wrestled in the following WrestleMania, didn't he? Uh no, he didn't make it to the next WrestleMania. He, I didn't think he wrestled because Seth I, Rollins though. So he did have Yeah, he got he got hurt while he was wrestling Rollins he, doing that. He, he wrestled on a, on a Raw against Big Show, right? Yep. Yeah, and then it was kind of a a a, a, a schmaz match. And then kind of became something else. But yeah. So I think that yeah, their perspective one of, was, okay, Sting is a short-term situation yep. here. And Triple H is forever. And Triple H is going to wrestle until he can't wrestle anymore or shouldn't wrestle. Well, and it, it, it's interesting because he's really picked up his schedule. You know, yeah. back in 2014, 2015, he was down to less than five matches a year, sometimes only one match a year. He was just wrestling and WrestleMania. Then, yeah, and then 16, he picks up a little bit, does a couple house shows, and then 17, he he fills in in, in uh, you know, South America, he fills in in the UK, he, you know, he's he's coming across more and more, and so it's kind of interesting to see this resurgence of him, um, though, you know, not necessarily as, as vascular as uh, Triple H has gotten at certain points in his life. So um, it's kind of a different version of Triple H, but well, yeah, maybe his, his drug-indicted nutritionist hadn't had as much time to prepare him. Yeah, well, and I also wonder if his kids getting older is having an effect on it too. Where you know maybe he's he's more willing to spend a little bit more time out of the house. Yeah, and in in this thing, not that I you know he's probably at most of these events anyways, and maybe that was just part of the transition. Um, I do think you know chairman of the board. I, I think he's and at TV. Board of directors yeah, he's hardly ever at house shows. But just like the idea that, you know, this is a board of directors member and he's still wrestling on the active roster. And even Triple and even Vince McMahon has mostly taken himself off television, though, of course, we had that big Kevin Kevin Owens 
angle this year. So, um, you know, for a, a stock price that is north of 30, which is uh, yeah. something actually I forgot to throw into our document here today, which is WWE stock is doing incredibly well right now. This is the uh, the highest I can remember at trading consec- uh, on consecutive days, uh, possibly ever. Um because as I talk to you at this exact moment, it is trading at $30.33 and has been trading uh, there for uh, it's probably a couple not days now. at the moment because it's the weekend. But, well, but yeah, your point stands is that, yeah. this is, uh, that the stock was doing really well. Yeah, its stock is doing really well. So, you know, uh, if it plummets on Monday, we can easily point to this single event and correlate the two with complete accuracy mm-hmm. that uh, beating Jinder was, in fact, uh, crumbling the financial markets forever. And, in fact, what, what caused this surge was the 205 Live announcement, wasn't it? Maybe that's too early <laughs> we'll of get, a segue. Wait. We'll get to that early uh, in a moment. Let's finish up Abu Dhabi, yeah, yeah. Uh, another Middle Eastern country, which I don't know if I would have guessed 10 years ago would be as lucrative for them as it has been. Um, they have invested quite a lot in both the OSN connection there, which is the the streaming service that that basically provides the WWE network. And, and similar to in Canada, it's a uh, paid, uh, almost like a TV channel service. Yeah. Uh, they have invested heavily, of course, into India and other markets about creating kind of localized content and, and really pushing it. And then even at the Business Partners Summit, I think it was this past year, they even talked about creating possibly retail stores in the Middle East, kind of like little pop-up stores where they would just sell WWE merchandise, um, you know, kind of with the jokes about, you know um, – shopping you know like a a brick and mortar's dead well there's some parts of the world where people are pushing for more and more brick and mortar because it's still a a a strong activity that has a lot of commerce associated with it so um and and abu dhabi is is the the big city in the united arab emirates right and the the reputation that i've heard is that this is a very rich city like there's a lot of people with a lot of money in that city and and the the, um and w running house shows in abu dhabi the, the line I've always heard is that they're, they're paid shows, so they just get paid a lot of money up front. It's not like a, a typical show where you sell tickets and you hope to, to make money on it. They, they pay it up front, and they probably makes a lot of money from it. Yeah. One thing that's happening in Saudi Arabia and possibly some of these other um, uh, you know emirate-type countries is that they are – they have big investment funds, and they sometimes have kind of government programs almost to you know create – sports and tourism and, and entertainment and to invest in that to make it then a destination city and, and kind of make it a bigger thing. And so they're intentionally investing in kind of trying to bring people there and do things. So I don't know whether it's government paying. I don't know whether it's private industry. Um, I think it's a very have, have not type culture. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's not like, it's a super rich business. The, modern the median city. salary in Abu Dhabi is $89,000 according to the statistics center. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And so in there are people that make a lot of money there. And of course, it's still a it's it's stuck in the middle of a very conservative block of of these Islamic cultures. And so uh, the big thing this year was, of course, Sasha Banks versus Alexa Bliss. Tell me about this first women's match ever in Abu Dhabi. Was that the way they promoted it? Yeah, it's the, the first women's match, at least in Abu Dhabi. It was between Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss. And uh, if you've seen pictures or video of it there's a i got linked in the doc a tweet from vince mcmahon uh which has a video of, a, of an interview from, with sasha banks after the match and and she's very proud and emotional uh so, so they're both clothed more than they would normally be in a uh, in a typical match they look like sasha banks had like a 
spacesuit. I don't know, like a, a full body suit or something. And, and I think Alexa Bliss wrestled in, in like a t-shirt and, and pants or something. But uh, yeah, they had a match. At least, yeah, it's it 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 worked out. So I'm glad that they were able to pull that off. I think that's a a sign that you know there. There's always been questions about you know uh, up to this point who are they bringing? It it was funny when they would always do like the tribute to the troop shows. They would bring all the divas and whatnot just to Iraq, but you know just to the certain part of the show, not when they're you know want to do a show for the public type thing. Yeah. I guess up to this point there had been no women's matches whatsoever, and I don't know that women had even appeared on the card, even like to you know walk with somebody to the ring i don't think so yeah. i don't think so I, I i always remember hearing that that women didn't go on that part of the tour um and so if if people ever talked about that kind of going to the middle east they usually meant for like a tribute for the troops kind of a, go to an army base and wasn't even, even there a, a darren young at the time i remember him making a tweet saying you know because uh, darren young is gay he said that he, he said something sort of in defiance to to what was going on in uh in the middle east there as far as their events like the, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he said, you know, we're going to conservative cultures where people that are, are homosexual can be imprisoned, killed, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And it, it bothers me yeah. that, that, you know, we're, we're tacitly endorsing yeah. that this kind of censorship and activities are happening. So and probably I a think big uh, factor in what draws WWE to go there is that, oh, wow, like I just said, oh, wow, they're going to give us a lot of money up front for this paid show. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because sometimes it doesn't draw very well. And when we look at those international statistics, a lot of times they would go in like, you know, Q1 um, before they do the big Q2 Europe tour. And so the Q1 would, number would just be whatever the date was in Abu Dhabi or in um, Riyadh or, or wherever else they were going, Jeddah, Jeddah and, and Saudi Arabia. And it would be like, you know, it would have a number and then there'd be a little asterisk next to it and it would say this is a paid show. And so when they were working out, you know, what was the value per ticket and it works out to like $161 a ticket or something, it was partially because there was only maybe 3,000 people there, but they got a lot more money for it. And obviously it was valuable enough to them to do it. Um, I always point out that the guy who used to run live events, uh, like the booking of all the stadiums, the guy who moved over to become the Vikings stadium manager, he used to manage a stadium in um, – I think in Abu Dhabi. And then shortly after he gets hired by WWE, WWE started running that stadium. And so it said a lot about, you know, it, oftentimes it's the connections of the person who's kind of your your live event booker to make a lot of decisions about where they're going to go, especially overseas um, and, and when there's those kind of why, special relationships. And this explains why Mookie has been hopeful that WrestleMania will come to Minneapolis very soon. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, if your former WWE stadiums guy works for the for the Viking stadium and you're going to have the Super Bowl there. So, you know, at least it's world class enough that people care about it. Uh, it it would have made sense to me. But it sounds like basically it came down to um, a, a tax issue and a lobbying issue. And uh, unsurprisingly, Minnesota was not willing to go the extra mile when it finally came down to the wire. But um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. They announced uh, uh, some athletes that they've signed. They've already signed one, um, a woman who it was the the one that on the, the last conference call, uh, Vince tried to throw Triple H under the bus when he asked her name. If you remember, yes. you're, you're uh, referring to uh, Shadia. But CEO, yeah, yeah. Do you want to try it's the other B -S -E -I -S -O one? B S E I S O is is her last name, and then the the new guy is uh, Nasa Alru 
Y-E. Yes, I have, I have it spelled out phonetically for you in the doc. Yeah, that didn't help me very much, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, he sounds like a CrossFit athlete. I think the other woman was also kind of a CrossFit MMA uh, athlete, if I remember, that she had trained somehow in, in um, uh, Europe at some point. Somebody was talking about, you know, seeing her in, in one of the gyms or one of the camps or something. Yes, and, and, so and they, they have Nasser Aluwayi, he's Kuwaiti. And I believe Shadi, Shadia is um, Syrian. Is that, is that correct? That sounds right. That sounds right. And and it's just kind of intriguing when you think about it where on the same tour where you're promoting, hey, we're going to get international talent. We're going to do a big thing here that, in fact, you would not be putting over your, quote unquote, you know, international talent. And maybe it's because they see gender as Canadian, so it doesn't matter. But it's funny to say, you know, we're trying to create these home market stars, and at the same time, you're not necessarily putting Jordanian, over. Jordanian, excuse me. Jordanian, that sounds more right. And then um, tell me this. Uh, did they put Kavita Devi on the India show? Do we know that? I don't know yet. I'm sure there will be reports out, but there, I've, I've not been able to find a report yet. That's a good question. Uh, my, my guess is no. Because, um, uh, of course, they used to bring um, – they used to bring like Ting Bang right. and, and uh, the, the – whoops – all right yeah sorry about that <laughs> it was one of those you open up a a tab and the next thing you know it's playing a video and only you can hear it you can only hear it um so yeah the question was because they they would bring like a uh, love preet singh and all those guys came from nxt yeah. on the last india tour here's what i see i see um it looks like finn balor and bray wyatt uh it, they did have jeet rama and kishin rafter versus the Taraj. And they did have Jeet Rama and uh, Kishin Rafter. And uh, I believe Jeet, one of those two guys is the Love Preet Singh I was mentioning a moment ago. Yeah. Um, they had Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks. They had Jason Jordan versus Elias. They had The Shield versus Seamus Cesaro and Samoa Joe. Um, Which I think went on last. They, uh, they had Roman Reigns winning that. And nope, then they had, they had the last match was, was Jinder Triple H. Really? Yeah, in fact, actually, in between there, they had Enzo versus Kalisto. Uh, they had Kane versus Braun Strowman. Strowman won by DQ. And then the main event was Jinder versus Triple H. So actually, they uh, they, they kind of had had a break almost, it seems like, between the two. Yeah, because um, yeah, it said uh, 1832 is when the Roman Reigns won his match. And it wasn't until 1912 that Enzo and Kalisto – well, it said that's when Enzo – defeated Kalisto to retain his belt. So maybe they did have a match there. Maybe there's a break. We'll see. But yeah, it, it does not appear that uh, it was necessarily a uh, uh, anything but a main event by Jinder Mahal and Triple H. And, uh, and by, by <laughs> even any in this, accounts that we've read so far, Triple H went over clean. Yeah, yeah. It says Jinder goes for his finishing move oh. but gets distracted by the crowd. Triple H captivates on the opportunity with a pedigree. One, two, crowd. three. And there is your winner. Triple H defeats the modern day Maharaja in his own country. <laughs> it's the way that that uh, TimesNowNews.com put it. Uh, oh, there is so, a timeline yeah. on this Indian Express article as well. Yeah. So um, it says that there's no. Uh, it was not streamed live anywhere, and uh, it and yeah the uh, the the card that had been previously published looks like they they stuck to that card. I'm seeing the only match I'm not clear on is that, that I do see here Titus O'Neil and Apollo Crews versus Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. And I'm not sure if I read that Carl Anderson 
is I didn't actually hear that match on that list. Yeah. So it's possible they did not do that this match. This is about the gender and Triple H match. The so Singh brothers interfere a lot, and it looks like Triple H might be on the verge of defeat. Gender slammed him through the steel steps, but then as gender goes for him, Triple H sidesteps and sends him into the ring post, hits a pedigree, and pins him. One, two, three. Triple H wins. Yeah. So I- intriguing to me that uh, they decided not to to go with gender, uh, but in some ways, you could say maybe this is just the conclusion of that storyline, and they're going to go in a different direction on SmackDown here for a while. I think in five years' time, Jinder will not be with WWE, and Triple H will. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if they're talking long play, maybe that's their whole vision is, is in five years, which which video do we want to still have up? Yeah, well, I could see a future, though, too, where Jinder just becomes this this long-term you know, employed guy for that who, who's like the ambassador for India. You know, a show Funaki, if nothing else. It's an interesting idea. I don't know if he has the 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 roots that are close enough to make it work. Like I've never heard whether or not his, you know, when he speaks in a, a, a native tongue. Yeah. Um. I, I want to say Hindi, but I don't know if that's in fact what he he speaks when he's he there. Punjab, doesn't he? Punjab. Yes. Yes. Um. I have no idea how good he is at actually speaking there and how yeah. it comes across in India. You know, the same way that you could say, hey, someone from Brit- Britain can speak English or even someone from a lot of countries can speak English, but it's going to sound different to our ears. Mm-hmm. And we'd immediately be like, oh, this person is not from this country. So then again, there's all those uh, uh, Scottish and, and uh, British actors who do perfect American accents. Uh, every time you watch The Wire and you discover half those people are Irish. Yeah. Like Walking Dead, like half the actors are British or something, right? It's crazy. Um, talking about actors, uh, one of uh, – I'm going to say I don't think he was in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, but uh, he is in one of those uh, Guns and Babes movies, uh, Buff Bagwell. Yeah, he's, he's, he's an actor sometimes. He is occasionally an mm-hmm. actor. And um, uh, Buff Bagwell Appeared and Raven. in movies probably. Def- definitely some softcore porn. Yeah, well, that, that those are the the, so you're the referring like, hard to? ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, well, hard ticket to Hawaii is like it's right on the it's it's kind of a Skinamax type movie, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like the guy that did it did a whole bunch of films. If you listen to How Did This Get Made, he did um they they reviewed I think Hard Ticket to Hawaii, but he did a whole bunch of those kind of films where he would basically like cast a bunch of playmates as like bounty hunters and then just kind of string together some movie in Hawaii and then. Uh, sell it and buff i know is in at least one of yeah, those i want to say there might even be a movie that uh casts both marcus bagwell and candace michelle in the same movie i don't know ah, now you're forcing me here to look up buff bagwell's uh acting history day of the warrior is uh one of the films that we're looking at right now let's see I'm here looking at his imdb but it's mixed in with all these wrestling events of course yeah and it even has a a lot of stuff from gigolos because he showed up on that that show uh, at one point during his I'm going to become a gigolo uh, issue. Real gigolos of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Well, the show goes off a rail really quickly, doesn't it? He was in Charmed. How about that? He had a guest appearance on Charmed. <laughs> How about that? Uh, as, so... as Slammer and the episode from 2001 <laughs> called Wrestling with Demons. Sounds around the same time. Didn't Pacific Blue have like a, a crossover episode maybe with Triple H in it? I'm sure it did. Now, now we're getting way off. But yeah, there. I'm, I swear there's like a Pacific Blue. Yeah, there's a China was on Pacific Blue. And uh, oh, that was a really crazy one. Now I remember it was all about like an underground. It was like an underage porn ring. Yeah. It was really bizarre. 
Someone, maybe well, maybe between the sheets, should, should do a, a, a podcast just about guest appearances of wrestlers in various TV shows or bit, bit parts they've had in movies and stuff. That or the Mario Lopez uh, podcast that you keep talking about starting. That must, must uh, have been something I said off air that I can't remember. Buff Bagwell and Raven have dropped their royalties lawsuit yes. is uh, all this, this segue was for. Yes. was essentially um, about two weeks ago there was this hint that something was going on and I don't remember whether I even brought it up on the show or what not. What is this lawsuit about in the first place, by the way? Yeah, it's about tell W you. network royalties that they want, right? Essentially. Yeah. So they, they, it, what happened is they had to submit several versions of their complaint. So it really depends on which version of the complaint you're looking at. But the third amended version of the complaint is most of their claims. And then they dropped one class and what it basically said was that they, under their contracts that they signed, felt that they were entitled to a percentage of the revenue generated by the WWE Network because this was um, royalties, essentially, in a form of like other media that should have been covered under the amb- ambiguous language that was in their contract at the time. They ended up basically saying that anybody who signed a contract between – um, I think it was 1999 and 2003 is the the time frame they were using, and then later they they suggested they might go as far back as as like August of 96 and all the way to like April of 2004, but the the period they were really staying towards was more like 99 to 2003, and saying that people who signed WWF contracts at that time, who did not sign additional contracts down the line. So not people like Chris Jericho who would have signed future contracts or like Chavo Guerrero Jr. or something like that, but people who only signed a contract during that time and then did not sign a new contract with WWF. So specifically Raven and his contract from 2000 would be a good example of that, that they deserved a cut of the WWE Network royalties or WWE Network revenues. The, the to, point is it's probably a pretty narrow selection of, uh, of wrestlers who would be eligible for this and Buff and, and Raven are two of them. Well, Raven is for sure. Buff gets really complicated because Buff never signed a contract with WWF or WWE. Buff signed a contract with a company called WCW Incorporated. WCW Incorporated was an arm of WWE that was created and basically signed Buff and kind of never signed anybody else. And so they they got into all this confusion about the fact that there was now two companies called WCW. There's the WCW owned by Turner and the contracts he signed there and this WCW Incorporated. And so at some point, kind of the lawyers were almost trying to conflate the two to try to make it seem like one company and the other company were the same. And therefore, WWE owned WCW and therefore they those contracts had to be paid out by WWE. And so there's a lot of arguments at the time about whether or not. Uh, Buff Bagwell, for instance, was even a member of this class. But they basically decided at one point that they would allow him to basically make individual claims, but just not like as a class action representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they argued over that. There's other arguments that went on. There was arguments about um, – there was a provision in the contracts that said you could audit our books if you feel there's a discrepancy about what you're getting paid. And so there's a big argument about whether or not they were allowed to audit the books. Because basically WWE came back and said, we're not paying on royalties for the WWE Network, so there's nothing for you to audit. And at the same time, 
the other guys were coming back and saying, well, you didn't let us audit the books. You're in violation of your contract. So, so aud- auditing the books would mean, it sounds to me like, would mean auditing the data, at least the viewership data of the WB network. Well, there's no definition for what that the, – the term was really meant to be for like t-shirt sales and pay-per-view sales and, you know – But, but uh, that would be uh, the angle that the plaintiff is coming from, right? Which is why WWE fought it tooth and nail because WWE had no interest in exposing it. Now, at one they, point – They don't basically want people have, like us uh, you know, combing through their legal documents. It does not – it does appear that way. And so at one point, WWE – um, said it would be impossible for us to come up with a royalty scheme for WWE Network performers. And the court rejected that, said, we don't believe it's impossible for you to come up with a scheme. You can come up with a hypothetical way to distribute the money. So then the argument became uh, the way Buff and uh, Raven wanted to do it was they said, basically, any person who appears on a show should get an equal share to everybody else. And so uh, they just basically said, figure out how many people appear on all the shows and then divide it among those people. So you saying a main eventer should get the same pay as an opening match. They yeah, they went very deep and basically and so they were just like, are you really saying that like Steve Austin and Buff Bagwell should get the same pay or The Rock because or, or a job guy who appeared on one show? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it did not sound like that was, of course, going to be the argument, the uh the version WWE was going to propose, but WWE really didn't want to propose this hypothetical formula because that's a wedge, right? Because as soon as they they give an example of how they could do this accounting, that puts them in a bad situation because in that case, then that can be the new way that they can start using that kind of as their, their affront. Because honestly, I don't know if some of these wrestlers would care whether or not it's a fair formula or an unfair formula as long as it's a formula that gives them something. Yeah. Um, and you know what has come out of it? I, I mean, I'm not saying that W cares about us, but you know what we would do? We would take that formula and we'd be like, all right, let's pull up the cage match data and let's see how much money each guy would be entitled to based on this. Well, and what's even tougher about it is I've heard of guys who got royalties for appearing on, on something, but they're not in the match. So somebody once told me, you know, during – I don't think it was the Eddie Guerrero tribute, but it was like the goodbye segment of some but thing and all the guys appear on the stage – and so they yeah. would get like 12 cents a video yeah. because they appeared as part of that video and they were determined in the formula that's created for these videos that they should get, you know, one tenth of one percent of all sales of the merchandise pool. Yeah. And so, you know, it would get even more complicated where it wouldn't even just be who's in the match, but we'd have to figure out did anyone interfere? Was anyone a valet? Did anyone, you know, appear on on the uh, the big stage doing an interview? It would be a lot of pain. And, and I've heard there's, so, there's a Ric Flair DVD where at the – I think for his retirement, everyone comes out on the ramp and applauds for him or whatever. And everyone who's in that sea of people gets a royalty because of that. And that's the one I was thinking of actually, yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's that's a real challenge. Um, you know, when you go back to that Jesse Ventura stuff that I was um, uh, posting a while ago, and if you're a member of the Pro Wrestling Legal Research uh, Archive, you can see all the documents where I went to the courthouse. I, I ordered them. I scanned a whole bunch of them. And what you see is the fight over royalties. And what's interesting is then you even come across some Coliseum video things where they basically say, here are the matches. Here's how we're going to divide up the royalties for all these people. And for the most part, it's equal for everybody on those Coliseum videos. But tag teams kind of get screwed. So like the Rockers would get basically the same share as someone in a singles match. Oh, 
it doesn't pay to be in a tag team. Yeah. In so, world. well, at least, and again, this is, you know, very, very old data, but it was kind of interesting. And then, of course, there was other people that just got a flat fee. So the announcers weren't getting royalties. The announcers got a flat fee for calling the event. And that was part of what Jesse was was protesting. Um, so, you know, this was a big case. Um, and about two weeks ago, they there was a request for a stay of abeyance. And I, I had to laugh because the word abeyance was appearing in the WWE legal fi- filing. Um, and they basically said for the last 10 days, we have been engaging in, in settlement discussions that could possibly uh, cause us to dismiss this lawsuit. And why would they dismiss the lawsuit? Well, in the end, they just posted something on on the 7th. So that would have been Thursday. They, they posted something very late on the 7th saying, here's our um, request to dismiss this lawsuit. And then on the 8th, the judge affirmed it, and basically the lawsuit was dismissed. And all it says is, we have decided to dismiss this lawsuit with prejudice, um, or without prejudice. I don't remember which one it was. I'd have to look it up. But um, the point being, they dismissed the lawsuit. Now, it says nothing about a settlement on there. That's because it's a confidential settlement. It's not a settlement that they're making public, and they're not submitting it to the court. This is interesting because... Do you think it's likely one of, that the WB is paying Buff and Raven some money and they're getting rid of this lawsuit in short, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I believe that that it's likely that, that Raven and, and Buff have received some promise of some some amount of money or some sort of scheme – that will give them money. So it could be, you know, a legends contract and we're going to sign you to a $25,000 a year, you know, legends contract or something like that. Also where it's not necessarily money, but it's, it's an indirect, you know, incentive type thing. Yeah. Uh, I doubt that. I really do doubt that they're entering into a new contract with them. I would imagine it's just kind of a, a go away. Here's our confidential settlement. You cannot sue us again because there's been so many issues going on with uh, Bagwell and Levy's teams. Part one has been, Levy, it's unclear how he found these lawyers to do this lawsuit because a lawyer cannot come to you and say, hey, I would like to represent you in your in this lawsuit. Here's a lawsuit you should file. You have to go to the lawyer. Now, you can advertise, hey, I'm an auto lawyer. You know, call me if you're in an accident. That's OK. But you can't go to someone and say, here's the lawsuit I've prepared for you. I want you to to file this now. Why, why, Especially is that, why, why can't you do that? Unsolicited. You can't uns, You can't do things unsolicited yeah. because – Because that's the law. Essentially – well, if you think about it, Raven and Buff have standing, right? Yeah. They are the people that have been – that feel that they have an egregious thing happening to them. And so it's about them suing. Mm-hmm. The lawyer is unrelated to this case. And suddenly if you have lawyers out there basically trying to act on behalf of other people – it's very hard for those other people to know whether or not the claims and the laws that they're claiming are being broken are actually happening and whether they've been wronged. And all that you get at that point is the lawyers just trying to get paid, right? Mm-hmm. So because because they, they they have to basically be appointed, they the, you have the right to choose your representation, but the representation doesn't have the right to just follow a lawsuit just because they want to. Yeah, I'm going to have to cl- cancel my plans to be to uh, get a law degree and uh, become a soliciting lawyer for uh, former W talents. Cross well, that off my list here. You know, and so a lot of this Raven thing was about basically how did this lawyer get in touch with you? And Raven was really vague about how it was. And so WWE was really hammering him on the idea that maybe this lawyer instituted an improper contact 
that they he was the one to bring up the idea of the lawsuit rather than letting Raven say, hey, I feel I've been wronged and I need a, a lawyer. So there's a lot with that. There's a whole issue where Raven invited his ex-wife, who apparently is also his business manager, to one of the meetings. And so WWE was basically saying this is a non-party to this lawsuit, and so therefore this can't be considered a confidential meeting. So there's that. There was a whole bunch of issues where I guess WWE started countersuing him for comments he made on Jericho's podcast at one point where because he lost that um, independent contractor lawsuit where Sanders and Canyon and and Levy and um, they were basically trying to sue for like independent contractor stuff. Yeah. Raven said something to the effect of, well, Vince paid off a judge in Connecticut. Oh. And apparently at some point, Raven had signed some kind of document that said he would not disparage WWE. And so they basically said that you're violating your your clause on that for when you, you left us or something you've done when you truth. departed. <laughs> I think it would be a pretty broad uh, uh, claim to say Vince Vince paid off a judge because that's never been shown in any court of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond a wrestler rumor. So that, yeah. that seems like a pretty salacious, slanderous thing to to claim. And uh, if the punk podcast has taught us anything, we should not defame people uh, when we, we know that they could have a negative effect on them. Yes. So, yeah, so there was there's a whole issue with that. So this so I think what what I'm trying to get at is in some ways, WWE kind of had Raven and Bagwell a little bit by the balls. I wouldn't say that it was a, a you know, that they were squeezing them and they, they definitely could not. um win but it was going to drag on for a very long time and more and more improprieties were coming up with the way that certain documents were filed and and the ways that lawyers i mean their document that one time the lawyers filed a complaint and they forgot to include like two pages and they didn't notice for a week that's right and so there was a lot of times that the lawyers were just really not on top of things and so then what happened is 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 Levy had basically kicked out his lawyer and then switched firms that he worked with. Now he was working with the Bruno firm. And that that caused a whole cascade of problems where the lawyers were now fighting over the contingency fees because they were basically arguing, well, when this settles, when we win this money, who's going to get it? And then the next fight was about, well, what happens if there's a confidential settlement? How do I know that I'm getting my fair share? So – when WWE made this decision, WWE hates losing cases that could become, you know, some kind of precedent. So it makes sense that they would settle. Two, WWE did not want to file a hypothetical formula for how they do royalties for the WWE network. They really wanted to avoid that. Three, they don't want to keep spending on legal fees. Legal fee spending has gone way up for them. So I'm not surprised that they would give up at this point. Number four, they know that if they kind of throw out there that there's a settlement, that the the uh, all the lawyers fighting on on Bagwell and Raven's team to the point where some lawyers were refusing to turn over documents to the other lawyers, claiming that they they didn't feel they had enough safeguards that they'd get paid in the end, that they're going to be fighting over that money for a while. So even if it is a big settlement, I don't know if Bagwell and Raven are actually going to see that much of it because contingency basically means if we win, we um, a certain portion of the cost goes directly to legal fees mm-hmm. and that you promise that up front. So I, I think it's really interesting how it all is is gone. Um, they dropped this lawsuit. It is settled. I posted about it on Friday morning. You know, I wrote it is over. I went. I screen capped the old Scientology video where the war is over. Uh, uh, crazy m- m- um, things. I put it up, and uh, a couple hours later, Dave I know put up something on the F4W 
website, which was really interesting the way he he phrased it because I almost wonder if it came from Law 360 or something because at the very end it says Levy and Bagwell represented by Clint Bruno and Matthew Peterson of Chicago and so-and-so of New Haven. And the uh, WWE was represented by Jerry McDivitt and then so forth. And that's the way like all the Law 360 articles always end. Yeah. So I'm assuming Dave wrote this himself. I really hope he didn't just copy and paste this from somebody else's website because you're not really supposed to do that. Um, and as a writer, I know he would respect other people's copyright. But uh, – <laughs> No, this isn't a joke. This isn't a joke. Uh, but but I, I, there there was always periodic coverage of these lawsuits in the law, in the law press whenever they hit kind of big milestones, a big complaint being filed or being settled. So I'm guessing there was a Law 360 article or something similar to that somewhere that he's getting a lot of this on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he added in kind of his own little details. Um, it, it does sound like this should stop it for a while. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people – Immediately, I was kind of flabbergasted how many people did this to me. I must have seen 30 or 40 people immediately respond, great, can I get thunder? Great, can I get heat? They're really interested in that so, because they, they think that the reason that uh, the heat and thunder weren't appearing on the W network is because probably Raven especially, and Bagwell's in thunder, that they, they, they both appeared in heat and thunder. Bagwell probably didn't appear in heat, but now we can finally – those are released now. Now, now, now we can get them on the W network. Which is a weird conflation in my book. I think what happened is Brian Alvarez really pushed this narrative that WCW Thunder was coming. And, and the belief was that that's why there's been so much world-class uploaded to the network lately is because they can't upload the heat and thunder on the schedule that they hoped for because this lawsuit was getting in the way. And it's an interesting argument. Um, I think – you can easily say this event is happening, this event is not happening, therefore the two are related. But I, I honestly think it's part of a bigger thing, which to me is if you want to roll out a tiered WWE network plan, you have to have some exciting things left to roll out to make it seem interesting when you're getting that top, top plan. Mm-hmm. And to me, Heat and Thunder are good examples of things that are valuable to people that are hardcore fans that are irrelevant to people that are casual fans or non-subscribers. It's not going to get the W number to 2 million subscribers. No, it's it's barely going to move the needle. And this is a terrible time to roll anything out. Um, Q4 is always a bad time for them to do new content launches in WWE because they, they usually are just kind of dipping the whole, whole month, whole year at this point. So I, I just don't see it as Heat and Thunder are somehow released from a magical cage. Now, did they maybe at one point have an intention to do this? Yeah. But this lawsuit's been going on for more than a year. So I think more than a year ago, they, they started to know that maybe A, WWE Network numbers are what they are, and B, maybe we should just hold off on putting more ammunition in their, their pocket. That said, Bagwell is all over WCW Nitro and WCW pay-per-views. He's on the Raw episode he was on. You know, it, same with um, Raven. He's all over everything from ECW footage that they've been uploading to pay-per-views to lots of other things. So I, I, I just find... Early, mid-2000s W content when he, when he was with the company during that time, right? Yeah, so the only thing I can imagine is that they didn't want – and this is the one example I would give. They didn't want there to be an email promo that says, did you enjoy WCW Thunder? And it's a picture of Buff Bagwell and other people, and it says subscribe today because that could be filed in the lawsuit and say, look, here, they are marketing my image 
to sell this network. How can you say it's not related to me? Well, they could just not so, put Buffer Raven's image in there. Do you think that would still be a problem? No, but my point being, can you always be sure that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing? If you communicate well, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean, is that I could see it very much as one of these cases where, yeah, it, in a perfect world, all you have to do is say, these are the banned people. You do not show their images. You do not talk about them. But you never know that, you know, marketing guy over here who's working on all this WCW Thunder stuff, maybe he's to come up with all this marketing material that uses those images. Mm -hmm. And when legal guy sees it, he says, shut it down. I don't want to see any of that. So now at least it's open again. So I, I can see side arguments on both sides. I honestly do not see Heat and Thunder showing up in the next four months for any reason. Yeah. So that's my my once again my prediction. I made a prediction in October that I didn't see this case settling. So I've been often wrong. So it, it's uh, worth mentioning. Um, the the WWE CTE case continues on. Um, again, that is a very narrow case at this point in terms of who is actually eligible, who is in the classes, and whether or not that the uh, case will be thrown out altogether because the judge gave some pretty strong orders about the in-camera affidavits and whatnot. Before you get too much and, further on, on CTE, I just – No, I just want to say it's just continuing on, and so we don't know whether or not it's going to get thrown out soon or not. Mm -hmm. That's it. But just two complaints about about this Bagwell and, and Levy uh, lawsuit that – W gets to because they have enough money, they get to just get rid of this thing and not actually have to have the legal conversation about what what should we be giving our workers and what shouldn't we? Just because they they have you know just because they're a billion dollar company, they can make this this legal issue go away. And I, and I think there's something unfair about that for for the workers presently. And and well, maybe you could argue not because the issue was this this specific language in, in the specific contracts that only people like Buff and uh, Raven actually were signed to. Um, but I don't know. Secondly, I, I think this was a, a wrestling story that a lot of people picked up and, uh, I know at least the observer and, uh, PW insider picked it up. But I wonder if you hadn't tweeted out that it's over, uh, on Twitter, would anybody have picked this up? And the, the articles that I've seen from various aggregators and wrestling news websites, nobody, nobody credits you. And would they even be aware of it? If, if you had not tweeted it out, I doubt it. I think so. I, I honestly do think that yeah. there was probably a law article put out oh, okay. there saying this article was over. I will have to look up. Let's see. Marcus Bagwell royalties you think they lawsuit. Even if there was, you think they would have found that? Like who's alert? How do they know that that would be posted? Maybe if they Google, maybe they find that article. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Law 360. Okay. Uh, though that, that was actually from a month ago. Law 360 did it. Oh. So I don't know if another one – uh, if I see it, I mean, what happens is, is law, the law media is a little bit like the wrestling media in the sense that they're looking for things that are interesting as well as things that are useful. And so these wrestling lawsuits are kind of novel to a lot of the law media. And so they don't cover it very closely, but what it is, is they have access to all the filings. They have an understanding of what is actually being discussed. And because McDevitt's firm is a somewhat high profile, high profile firm, and because WWE is a multi-billion dollar company on valuation, um, you know, they do get covered periodically. And so I have found, you know, especially when it comes to, um, IP rights stuff, there's a lot of coverage of that in the past, you know, when, um, uh, uh, what, who was it? There was, um, there was another, uh, family that was suing 
was it the not wasn't the Armstrongs? It was another family. I'm I'm blanking for a second which one it was that they were suing over their rights with ESPN at one point, And that lawsuit went all the way up about basically, can we reuse the rights of a match? That, that you know, do we have to pay royalties? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's on my drive. I, I feel really silly right now. And I'm sure Bix is screaming at the microphone as <laughs> the names of these, these different uh, lawsuits, you know, um, Doug Summers uh, from the really old uh, from the AWA he he sued at one point over a lot of this stuff as well. And the, and you'll find a lot of coverage of these things. So I, I can't say that, yeah, I'm the only person who ever covers this. I do think I'm the one who covers it the closest. Yeah. Um, and, 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 Bix, and like my, does a good job. My accusation would be all, all these articles that were uh, written and posted about this lawsuit being dropped. How many of the, the people who wrote those articles do you think actually looked at the legal documents that you looked at? You know, I, I think the information's out there. I try to tweet out the most important things. And hopefully, you know, it. what I find ultimately is most of the time people come and they start following me after these kind of stories and they hear more about it. And that's great. And you, as someone else. But I, but I guess what, my, my, my grievance is that if if you're not looking at the original source document, then is this really journalism? It's just this is not news to anybody, but that's not journalism. That's just, you know, regurgitating things that other people say. Yeah, and, and most people are misunderstanding what were the claims in this lawsuit yeah. and how it affects other alumni. Part part one is if you signed a new Legends contract, you probably signed away your rights to this stuff. Part two, if you signed a contract after, say, 2004, you probably signed away your rights to this stuff. Part three is if you signed a contract before, say, 1995, you probably don't have a claim. Uh, part, part whatever number I'm on now <laughs> um, is – it's a very confusing legal world about whether or not streaming something is the same as buying it, renting it, viewing it. Do you buy a license to view it or do you buy the actual content? Yeah. And there's a big difference in terms of what the law says about how you have to pay royalties on something you're buying a license to watch versus renting versus buying. And I might argue that a company like WWE should be forced to have that debate in public about whether or not they should be paying people based on – being appearing on video on a, on a subscription streaming service like they should be they and, should and, be forced to have that conversation in the public so there can be transparency with the public and with their workers so everybody knows what's going on and what the what the legal arguments were and, and who had the better legal argument but instead because they have a lot of money they can buy opacity sometimes you know i i think part of it is a we didn't see other lawyers joining this class action suit now i don't know if they never got it certified or not but there was nobody else who jumped on board and said, hey, I also want to be part of this. Yeah. And that to me says a lot that um, there was not an issue where people were pursuing this. So, you know, if there was 50 of these people, they would have had to convince 50 of them to drop their suit. That didn't happen. Yeah. So there is that element, too, where you could say, well, if no one else is jumping on board, it was just up to those two people to decide whether or not they wanted to settle. And the reality is their lawyers were screwing up a lot of stuff. So I'm not surprised that they just finally came to an agreement where they were happy enough with it um, to kind of continue on. Uh, two, it doesn't stop anybody else from suing. It, and now you've seen the arguments. And I would say WWE has actually put out a lot of these arguments in the counter to the lawsuits where they've said, here's why we don't think we are selling a DVD. We are selling a license to stream something, and this is why we have a different interpretation. And the, the courts have ruled some on that. 
Um, ESPN has been, you know, a party to other lawsuits about footage because you've had other examples where people have said, hey, I think there should be royalties paid to me as a football player or as a a someone else. And so there there is a lot of examples of, you know, cases where it's come down to these interesting things about what was the purpose when you recorded this match and what did you think was going to happen to it? So in one of them, uh, a guy named Steve Ray, not uh, the Stevie Ray you're thinking of, but like wild things, Stevie Ray, he sued ESPN. And that was a whole thing where he was basically uh, claiming, you know, they, they, they're they showing this old wrestling footage of me and uh, they basically lost too. So, I mean, there has been a lot of cases where it's basically, in my opinion, come down to if you're showing footage of these things on television or if you're showing the uh, footage of these things through a streaming service, we might not have to pay royalties on that, especially if you knew it was being recorded when you went out and did this and we paid you something for the act of going and doing that match. Now, is that the best for wrestlers? No, no. And it, it, it speaks to the change of the, the media market, right? Where uh, 20 years ago, you could count on pay-per-view revenue being a big part of how much money you made in the year over your downside guarantee. Now it's different. Now you're getting it paid in different forms in different ways, and maybe you're just not getting it paid at all. So it, it isn't necessarily for the best for everyone, but it's a different world we live in. And I think as long as you know Netflix and other things are out there and they're selling kind of these aggregated rights in a different way, we're, we're always going to have these arguments. And so um, I do hope someone finds the right set of arguments to make to make it much clearer and doesn't want to settle with WWE and so th- that they have to basically win or lose a lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, the same way – you know, the Jesse Ventura suit came down to – jury trials and appeals on jury trials and he narrowly won those nobody thought he was going to pull those off and if he hadn't just walked if he hadn't fought them all the way through it would have been really bad i, I almost question like is, is there a larger problem with the legal system like because it just seems like if you're rich in, in this plutocratic world like you can not have to have these conversations and it seems like a, a just world should force these companies of power to have to, you know, let, let's let's talk about it and find out what the truth is and find out if somebody really deserves something that they're not getting. I don't know if I would agree that they're not having the conversation because the lawsuit's being filed, it's being argued in front of a judge and the judge is making decisions on those. But in the end, they're, they're, but I would argue they're not setting precedent mm-hmm. always about what's happening. But, you know, I think a lot of it is because as entertainers, uh, they're not being taken seriously. And so they're having a hard time pleading their case of why is it so important that these people receive rights and fees for things that they've done in the past that they've already been paid for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, I think, a larger argument just kind of about the uh, fact that there's so little for wrestlers in general to go back to after they're done with a whole career of, of putting their body on the line. And that's what's really kind of consuming it is that there's no SAG pension. There's no, you know, healthcare system for them to kind of bounce back to. So a lot of times I almost feel like these are kind of cash withdrawals from these people of them trying to say, I'm at the end of my career. How can I make the money I feel like I didn't get so I can continue living my life? Which is unfortunate. They obviously didn't provide me with a pension or any any kind of long-term health insurance. So, you know. Yeah, and and the the counter argument would always be, well, you didn't provide yourself with a pension, and you didn't provide yourself with a, a safety net to do this. But I was misclassified it's, as an independent contract, yeah. contract. So, when in reality, I, mean, I was functioning as an employee. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, for for intents and purposes, I I do think uh, a lot of the elements of the independent contractor statute are completely uh, uh, wrong for how they're being applied against WWE superstars. You know, Brandon, WrestleNomics Radio. 
this month is sponsored by SeatGeek. And it is. it is the easiest way to buy tickets for sports, concerts. It can be complicated and confusing, but there's always a better way to buy. That's with SeatGeek. It is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets of every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal or planning a night out, whether you need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician or the Maharaja himself right. in person. SeatGeek gets you closer to the action for a great value. And because I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, it's the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, just a couple taps, and I find the seats. I, I've actually looked at SeatGeek to find tickets for WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, Whether I, you're looking I, for tickets for WWE Abu Dhabi, WWE New Delhi, or even WWE WrestleMania. Yes, and uh, I'm hoping the NXT tickets, which go on next week, yeah. maybe I can buy some of those through SeatGeek. Uh, oh, and the best yeah. part is because they don't just SeatGeek. have a sorry, <laughs> they don't just have like the WWE events, but like I've seen they have Ring of Honor on there, and uh, I know last week I found some Smash wrestling tickets, which is a Super Indie in Toronto. Um, oh my goodness, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that that's going to save me time and money from searching multiple ticket sites, and I can compare the prices, find amazing deals, and they grade every ticket based on the value to us, so that we can identify the best seats that fit our budget. And best of all, SeatGeek is offering twenty dollars off to our listeners of WrestleMomics Radio for your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is use the code WE, as if you're typing in WWE, but you lost the first W, uh, much in the way I'm sure Vince wants. Uh, and that will mean you go to the SeatGeek app, you download it, you use the promo code WE, and that gets you twenty dollars off your first purchase. WE and just uh, think World Entertainment. There's no more wrestling. There you go. <laughs> That's what WrestleMomics is. Is it is entertainment for the world. SeatGeek, proud sponsor of WrestleMomics Radio and many other podcasts on the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcasts network of flagship podcasting. There's just one flagship, though. The, we're, uh, the, rest of, the rest of us are on the ship, but there's just are one we, flag. Are, are, maybe we're a part of an armada that is like oh, following right behind that's true. Maybe, maybe, Santa Maria. So maybe we are Pinta. our very own battleship, but there's just one in the front, which is Rich and Joe. Yeah, yeah, i, I <laughs> bathtub submarine is more like it but yeah um you know you you were complaining that no one was crediting me for the other yeah. it's uh infuriating me I, I, I get mad online on, on twitter when i read you know or on, on various wrestling websites when i see everyone report about this but not credit the great mookie gone chris harrington well, it's my own fault because if I wanted credit, I should have written an article about this and put it up on Fightful and said, here's what they were claiming. Here's what happened. Here's the the resolution of it. And then I think there'd be a lot for people to then say, hey, either you took it from my article or you didn't. Here, all I did was recap a couple documents and said it is over. So I, I feel what you're saying, and I have felt that many times myself where I have found a document or a story. Like when I found Hulk Hogan's 1998 WCW contract, there's no way anyone but me should be credited because I was the only person to find that document and put it up. Yeah. And so if it's something like that, I think, yeah, that's an unusual thing because I went searching, I went digging and I got it. And even in that case, I didn't make any money on it because, um, I just put it on my Twitter and just kind of walked away. Um, 
They owe you but royalties I, on all that ad revenue that they earned. No, no. What I should they have done is monetized it myself. So it's my own. It's my own fault for not being more proactive. But uh, it's been a whirlwind week for me um, coming back from New York and just the. It, it froze here. It was eight degrees on like Wednesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. There was snow everywhere. I had a flat tire, so I had to get a tire replaced. And then work has just been killing me. So it's been tough to to keep up with everything. Yeah. So I had actually missed this whole two hundred five live announcement. Yeah, but maybe when that, I become uh, a lawyer, I will uh, solicit a uh, some litigation to you so we can uh, recover all this ad revenue. And I will take a cut, of course, as the lawyer. But anyway. I do not recommend that. Uh, right. Tell me about this 205 Live event plan for January of 2018. So 205 Live is going to do actual live events. Up to this point, they've just been appearing live on the W Network right after SmackDown airs live. And so now they're going to do on their own, not with SmackDown. Not with anything else, not even with NXT. Just on their own, they're going to do entire 205 live live events. And that's going to happen on the weekend of January 18th of next year. January 18th, 19th, and 20th. They're going to go to Poughkeepsie, New York, Lowell, Massachusetts, and Kingston, Rhode Island. So we will see how that goes. Um, you've got Is this a one, one-off thing? Uh, we are told WWE, this is from PW Insider, we are told WWE will be targeting smaller buildings in the Northeast for that weekend, possibly the same size. Yeah, but we, we know what those events are. Uh, there might be some February dates as well, but nothing is set in stone. So I, I went back and I started searching for, um, events that have run in these arenas. So the Lowell, Massachusetts arena, the Poughkeepsie arena, the Kingston, Rhode Island arena, and basically found, well, September 2017, NXT Live, uh, June 2017, Poughkeepsie, NXT Live, uh, Kingston, Rhode Island in, in September of 2017, NXT Live. So these are all places that have run NXT Live shows and drawn probably between 1,000, give or take, you know, some some. Sorry, somebody's calling me. Junk junk phone call. Go on. (laughs) These these are all places that have run NXT live events in the last year. Um, In fact, in the last six months. Sorry, I'm trying to turn it off. (laughs) Keep talking about two five live. So. They've also run house shows. So, I mean, uh, Lowell has had house shows between 4,000 and almost 6,000. If you go back a couple of years from, you know, December of last year, they did probably 4,000. Poughkeepsie has done house shows more in the 2,500 range, uh, all from 2006 all the way through 2013 periodically. Um, but Kingston, Rhode Island doesn't do a lot of uh, house shows. I found some back in 2006 and 2007 where they did like 2,000 and 3,500. And then Providence, which is only about 30 miles away because Rhode Island is a very tiny state. They have done a lot of uh, shows and they've they've gone anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000. So I don't think that they're shooting for these 205 live tours to do any better than NXT does when they come to town. And NXT, I would assume, only does somewhere between 700 and 1,200. So if they're shooting for between 700 and 1200 using the WWE name, even with 205 Live, I think that's doable. I mean, these are the same places that ECW even ran a house show back in 2006 in Poughkeepsie. And um, there's been other, you know, joint shows where ECW was on there back in, in 2008 and 2009. So I, I think you can get between 700 and 1200, and depending on what you're spending to put on a show like this, maybe that's profitable. Yeah. The, uh, the one data point that we have here of an NXT show in one of these markets is about 1,000 from this past September. 
even, which is when NXT ran in Kingston, Rhode Island, and we've got here about a thousand they drew. So I think that's the benchmark. Um, but the thing is, I think 205 Live has way less buzz than NXT does, so it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard, and so I think it will matter whether or not they're doing um, cheap tickets, and it will also matter whether or not they're just going to pump merch. You know, this could be an example where you go there and it's going to be tons and tons of merch that has nothing to do with the people on the card. And they're just hoping to do a lot of venue merchandise um, for that show. Uh, and then, you know, for it to be an intimate experience, I've I've gone to NXT house shows before and they've only been, you know, a couple hundred to a thousand people. And it's an intimate experience. It's fun. Um, and obviously they have some system where they think it's worth doing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they're doing with that talent. When you think about 205 Live talent, a lot of that talent does more tour with the NXT brand than they do with the actual Raw and SmackDown brands um, a lot of the time. I mean, now that Enzo Amore is on there, I think that's kind of shifted a little bit what some of that talent is. But a lot of those guys actually are closer to the NXT brand than they are to actually the main roster talent uh, on the weekend house shows. Yeah. I'm thinking like – so I, I would imagine – we don't know this for sure. I would imagine the um... – the viewership on the network. Actually, we have rankings, don't we? But I would imagine the viewership for NXT is significantly higher than than that of 205 Live. Do you know, yes. you know off the top of your head if, if that is reflected in the rankings? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you which one has is, is been hotter. Um, I would assume most of the time it's been uh, uh, NXT, but I would... Uh, Wonder if maybe the Enzo Amore thing has been successful enough that it's it's kind of pushed it up in prominence. Yeah, I think Enzo Amore has helped. Uh... For sure. And, you know, we were talking a while ago about, you know, what is the value of John Cena? Well, if you ever really wanted to figure out the value of John Cena is put him on one of these three 205 live <laughs> events. And then just look at that. You know, if, if you go 1,000, 6,000, 1,000, I think it would be pretty clear that John Cena drew that house. So if you if you want a um, A B testing, you can run here. My guess would be uh, throw John Cena on a two hundred five live. Yeah, I don't think that's happening though. But uh, I don't think it's happening either. I would think that. Oh, you know, hey, Lowell, Lowell's probably not far yeah, from Springfield. That's true, right? He probably doesn't even live there anymore. Um, I would think that. What do you think the ce- the ceiling is for this? Because the ceiling is like, I'm not not the ceiling twelve seventy nine. Yeah, but but I'm but, uh, thirteen feet. Okay. No, no, no. I mean the 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 attendance. Um. Probably not more than what NXT does, and what's the floor about what a good indie show does? A five hundred, maybe. I was going to say if they go below five hundred, yeah. that will be a disaster. Yeah, and do you um, think maybe this is a this is a Vince thing? Let's let's give them enough rope to hang themselves. All right, let's put them on tour. Maybe that was the long term vision of this thing to begin with, and maybe they're thinking, all right, let's just put them on tour and see if they can survive, and and uh, the results will uh, determine the future of this brand, maybe? A couple things. One, I think it's a talking point. Think about how many conference calls have talked about 205 Live. More than you would believe. They talk more about 205 Live than they do about the WWE UK tour. Or WWE UK uh, expansion, right? That's a good example of something where every time they tell us about how great the ratings are, this and that. Two, they have these outrageous obita goals for themselves. And what that is, is that's their profit goal, right? And so they have to hit this number of north of $100 million for this year and then um, keep going up next year, right? Yeah, and then so, these events, because they're going to happen in 2017. Oh, no, they're going to happen in January. I'm sorry. 
they're, so they're not going to yeah. be counted in the uh, that 100 and cent OEB goal that they set for themselves. Selves. Yeah, but we know that next year it's even higher. Right. They, they basically promised it would go True. up. So I wonder if part of that strategy is to say, look, we figured out that if we run 400 live events a year, we can generate this much. If we run 450 live events this year, we can generate this much. And it's, you know, another 10 million or 5 million or whatever that number is. And as long as they can make that number keep going up, it might just be a volume over uh, uh, a value type quantity where they're just going to say, if we squeeze out more live events, we can do better. And maybe one of these 205 live events is far more profitable than a uh, NXT Florida Loop house show yeah. where you know, you're basically playing to 150 people and you're not selling that much merchandise and not doing that much. Compare that to sending them up for a three-day stint so they're all really close to each other. And he gives this cha- talent a chance to be a little bit different and, you know, gives gives you a chance for you to maybe develop a few more things. So maybe they're going to develop some agents. Maybe they're going to develop some road crew. Maybe they're going to develop some managers or eight or, or uh, television directors or whatever it's going to be, yeah. you know. So I, I can see it as as a growth thing where maybe per, per, per penny profit is worth it. And part of the strategy for next year is we just have to do 50 more live events than we did the year before. And the only way to do that is to basically break out another little touring brand that can do a thousand people a shot, and that we can give us a new page. You have to give us a new page on the on the KPIs and the key performance indicators that just accounts for the the super serve live events like NXT and Two Hundred Five Live, because I'm sure they won't include Two Hundred Five Live in their main roster breakdowns. But maybe they'll, exactly. but maybe they'll give us one of those little paragraphs like they do for NXT that tells us. Um, what the attendance, what the average attendance is like, and what the average gate is like, right? And up, and <clears throat> if you are an investor, this would be the sort of question you could ask on one of those you calls to really dig it in and yeah. say, "Why are you doing this? Tell us more. Give us your strategy. Help us understand." They're not providing that granularity, though. Uh, by the way, the most popular uh, programs on the W Network this week, according to the most popular page on the W Network, number one is this week's episode of NXT. Number two is W Straight to the Source with Roman Reigns. And number three is 205 Live. 205 Live does better than Survivor Series, which is a few weeks old now. Last week's episode of NXT, the NXT TakeOver, War Games, and so on and so on. Wasn't this uh, week's of NXT a, a big match, though, with uh, uh, Gargano versus um, somebody? No, that was a couple weeks ago. I thought there was a different uh, big match for this week. Uh, the, maybe I'm, the previous maybe. week was Pete Dunne and um, I believe NXT, NXT invades San Antonio. Yeah, so that's the, I'm pretty sure that's the Pete Dunne and John That Gargano must be match. the one. Okay. And this one is Zelena Vega presents NXT Championship Celebration of Andre Cien Almas, Ruby Riot, and Sonya Deville meet in a no holds barred match. Oh, okay. So yeah, so the, it, it's a good example of of just kind of how. Every week, that new week of television is really popular, which again goes to the discussion about what's important in the library or new content. Typically, it's it's the new content, not just even new new to you content, but just period new content. There, there's nothing in this top and, ten that I would consider library. Uh, like WrestleMania is the oldest thing on the on the top ten list here. And didn't I just get an email this week that all the old NXT episodes were being put up with uh, Daniel Bryan as a rookie and all I that? They're all up now, actually. Yeah, I just I got an email this week uh, advertising kind of like the young and wild uh, years were going to be put up, they're, they're, which they're I kind marketing of marketing specifically to you as we'll get into. They it. are, and I kind of wanted to watch them because of the crazy, like you know, uh, when they would do like the 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 
scavenger hunt challenges or whatever where you know you'd have to jump over a barrel and do this and that where it's just ridiculous or the crazy promos you know who doesn't want to see eli cottonwood tell the promo on mustaches again of course um so yeah i i will be really intrigued i i have kind of my gut feeling right now is that wwe as one of their levers that they're pulling, contract escalations are good, but one of the levers they're pulling is to expand the number of live events that they're doing year over year until they hit a saturation point because um, that's an easy way for them to generate more profit. And specifically, I think venue merchandise might be very valuable for them. Yeah. And in their defense, I think they know and that, that they believe, and there's probably a lot of truth to it, that there's there are fans out there in various markets who will go to more W live events than they are serving right now. So... Their, their position is probably, well, why not in this Northeast area where we're probably especially popular, why not give them one of these super serve uh, brands like 205 yeah, and or NXT? How often do I hear from people like, it's not fair they never come to North Dakota. It's not fair they never come to my area of Canada. And it's like, well, what they're probably going to start doing is sending you these sea shows if they can get there profitably. Mm-hmm. It's tough to get to Manitoba in the winter and it's, profitably. And it's appropriate for the media world that we live in now to not just have a sea show. A sea show, I think this is a good thing that they're doing. A sea show is not a main event. A sea show is 205 Live or NXT. So it's not it's not just a sea brand of the main roster of the same old stuff. It's a it's a sea brand of something that's special that maybe hits the interest more of a hardcore fan than than the the main roster main event roster if you will. And, and my last piece is always it's development, right? Yeah. It's both development I'm for by, the wrestlers. I'm not talking about top of the car. I'm talking about that C show called me. Yeah, the TV show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's development. And also at the same time, you want to develop agents or you want to develop people who do live event directing and things like that. And so sometimes you have to give them some ability to kind of ex- – to grow and we saw that a lot with nxt right with like was it ryan ward who you know really showed his skill and his ability to kind of program nxt and then they wanted to promote it so part of why nxt has been given the free reign that it's been given is because it's sort of a training ground for triple h himself for paul levesque to get ready to you know be be the uh the main decision maker on the main roster someday and creatively so i i would be really curious to see if you look at this as a very larger picture about how many events are we running what's the average value per ticket i bet you it makes sense and again when you string three events together in a in an area as long as you can sell a certain number of tickets you're probably going to be profitable enough especially if you're not using high-priced talent do you think there's any problem here with these these three events lowell massachusetts Poughkeepsie, new york kingston rhode island uh, I'm, i haven't like done the google map or anything but i'm guessing these are all about a three four hour drive at most between each other do you think they're too close in that okay we're going to super serve this hardcore audience but the hardcore audience is going to decide to go to one of these events rather than three of them just because they're close enough together no because i don't think anyone's driving four hours to watch 205 live true what is, is really yeah that far away i don't know keep talking well but i just mean like if you're in rochester you're going to go to the poughkeepsie show but you would if i told you hey the poughkeepsie show is not happening you would never consider driving to rhode right, island Lowell is an hour 45 to kingston yeah. Uh, to Poughkeepsie. Lowell to Poughkeepsie is, is three and a half hours. Yeah. So, and again, I think they chose these because they're places that NXT has already run. So they know what the building's like. They know how to set up in that building. They know what, you know, what to expect. Poughkeepsie to and, Kingston uh, is three and a half hours, but Lowell and Rhode Island are close. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be intriguing. It's an experiment. And I think 
it's worth doing these kind of experiments when you have the budget to do them. And the worst thing that they do is the fact that they ha- they sit on talent and do nothing with them. The best thing they can do with talent is get them out in front of live crowds and get them experienced. And the only problem is right now monetize them. And the only problem is that sometimes they have inferior talent working with inferior talent rather than mixing it up enough to give people the ability to get the rub and get the experience that they need. Because, you know, unexperienced people working together does not grow you nearly as much as working with a a veteran. No, I can can tell you firsthand that that is the case. So, I mean, that's the key to this, too, is that if 205 becomes a ghetto that people are stuck in, um, you know, there's going to be one mentality. This also can be thrown a little bit as a, hey, look, we're not relegating you to, to a crappy show in the corner. Maybe we're trying to make you a bigger deal and hopefully make people feel better about themselves. That said, NXT tours started off hot. People were really excited for them. Now they're kind of blasé, right? People don't get all that excited when NXT is coming to town, especially now that so much of the talent with Asuka and Nakamura and other people have moved on. Um, Australia famously had a card, I think it was 2002, if I remember correctly, where uh, maybe it was 2003, where Brock Lesnar like headlined this giant stadium card. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the biggest events of the entire year. You know, I, it might have even been as big or bigger than than what WrestleMania drew for that year. Do you, want, do you want to stay on NXT for a second and talk about this? Um, NXT is going to appear on USA Network. Yeah, no, okay. We'll Let's talk about that. Um, so NXT is going to. There's WWE Week uh, this coming week on the USA Network, where of course on Monday they're going to air Raw, Tuesday SmackDown, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern they're going to air NXT, and I think on Thursday they're airing the annual Tribute to the Troops show, right? Oh, that's incorrect. On Thursday, they air Damnation, me. starring so when, when Luke Harper. To the troops airing on Friday. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're you're challenging we'll me here. Right, let's check here. here. Uh, yeah. But but anyway, so this is the first time NXT is ever going to appear on mainstream cable, right? Except for when it was the game show NXT. This incarnation of NXT for the first time is going to appear on mainstream TV. Monday is Raw. Tuesday is SmackDown, Wednesday is NXT, Thursday is Tribute to the Troops. Oh, so I was right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Damnation with Luke and Harper. And following yeah. that is Damnation starring Luke Harper and Saturday Journey to the Mysterious Island with The Rock. There you go. So Whose character's name is Hank Parsons. He looks like a Hank. Sure. <laughs> when I look at Dwayne, I say oh, – I, I, sometimes I miss I misname him and I call him Hank just on accident. But anyway, uh, so NXT is going to appear on the USA Network, not at 8, at 7. Um, I, I put out a poll on Twitter that was a 24-hour poll that's probably just ending or has just recently ended. So my question was, what do you think the viewership is going to be? And I think we should endeavor to try to answer this. So you know, think about, in comparison, Raw does about 3 million viewers. SmackDown does about 2.5. Impact over on Pop TV does between about 200 and 300,000. Is that recent? Do they still do 200 to 300,000? Pretty recent. I, I pulled up the Gerwick numbers to look at this, and, and they're okay. not super up okay. to date, but they're up to date as of the last few months. Um, so what, the question is, what will NXT's viewership be when it airs on the USA Network this coming Wednesday? And uh, the winning vote uh, option was 500,000 to 1 million. Do you agree? I Well, I see a little check mark when I do this, so that implies to me that I must have voted mm-hmm. in this poll. Yeah, I remember what you and voted. I voted... I voted, it says, for the 1 million to 2 million range. So I thought they would do just north of 1 million. 
And the reason for that was, is if I remember tough enough, I think they started off a little bit north of 1 million and then they sunk. Yeah, that sounds about right. But so I, I think area oh, eight though, right? Yeah. But I just meant in terms of, I think you, when you do a one-time thing, you can get a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of traction. Mm-hmm. I think if you did it weekly, it would sink. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see it as every week it's going to be a big deal. Now, I don't necessarily feel that they have um, blasted this enough right. that it's going to be a big deal. So I kind of feel like this is kind of an afterthought week. Mm-hmm. And so I do worry, you know, that the week day after day of wrestling means you're going to get diminishing returns. So but I, I'm going to I'll go out there on a limb. I'm going to guess a little north of one million. If you had a, a category that said more than one and a quarter, I probably would not have chosen that. So I, I'm thinking between one million and one and a quarter. I would probably agree with you there. Um, but a bigger, more dangerous question is, do you think this is at all testing the waters to include NXT as part of the next NBC rights deal? Could we see NXT included along with Raw and SmackDown as part of the package that they sell to the USA Network? So we've got three consecutive nights of W program on the USA network. And then what would that mean for NXT on the network itself? If I was an investor, that would be a great question mm-hmm. for me to be quizzing them on. Yeah. Um, I do think the value is you can put together a larger TV rights contract, bundling in NXT much in the same way by bundling in a third hour of raw, you basically can get them to pay you a little bit more money or even the same money, but you're giving them more content, but it seems to an outside person like you're getting more money. So what I would think I don't think, I would think about doing if I were WWE is maybe offering them just the takeovers because, you know, the takeovers will will do better in terms of viewership. And then you don't have to worry about, like you just said, the attrition of, yeah, everybody will be into it at first and then it's going to dwindle from there. But to just have those peak events, although that does take some value away from the network, because we know they, they always yeah, tout that it, the takeover events are, are well viewed, which I'm sure they are. And and we also have to remember that the domestic package is not the same package that everybody else in the world gets. So just because NBCU signs up, they have, but NXT, they have all those contracts coming up. They could, yeah, they they could push it on other countries. I'm just saying, you, you do sometimes lose a little bit of the cohesiveness if you if you have a fear that maybe not every country of the world is going to do this. Conversely, when NXT was on on television years and years ago, there were some countries of the world that continued to air it after it got kicked off. You know that it would be a it was kind of a, a, a network only show or whatever it was. What were they streaming doing? On yeah, what the were time. they doing with it in the U.S.? Just putting it on WWE.com at the end. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. This was during the the never ending season that Johnny Curtis was part of before his Fandango, where it lasted like sixty six weeks or something. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it is an intriguing idea. If you had asked me before, I'd say no. It's not meant to be a bigger thing. I honestly think it's meant to be just the way that they, you know, put the Hall of Fame package on once a year or that in other years they've put together tough enough on there. It's a way to throw some extra content during a down season when they might not have new programming that is cohesive and is part of this like, you know, look four days of action type thing. I don't see it as a big, big play of, hey, look at this. We're going to sell it on the next thing. But they would be fools not to think about doing it. Um, I do not think it's going to get a lot of traction in the sense that WWE, as big as they get, people don't know who these NXT stars are a lot of the time when they come on television. They know who some are. They they know who some are. But, you know, Asuka, you could argue, was over a lot more when she was in NXT than she is when she's on Raw now. 
and uh, Nakamura had a very similar thing where and, and there I is something argue that both of those cases are they they could be more over if they had been handled differently. Yep. And I would also argue there's a lot of NXT talent that nobody has ever seen on the main rock. If you're a main wa- roster person, you have no clue who a lot of this this NXT talent is. And that's somewhat reflected even by the fact that these NXT takeovers aren't always even selling out. Right. Even though they're on the same weekend as a big pay-per-view. Because there is developing a different taste level for, you know, whether you're into this NXT brand or not and whether you know who these stars are. And so I I just don't think it's something where you naturally are going to have so much spillover. And so then you get to the question of who are the hardcores in WWE that care enough about this stuff to watch it? And, you know, if you have, what, 1.5 million WWE Network subs, then getting somewhere between 700,000 and a million people to watch something makes sense to me. And the question just is, um, on a one-time only thing with whatever they're putting on for this NXT show, is it um, is it a, a best of show? Is it a brand new content? What is it? What is it going to be? You mean this this Wednesday? I think it's just going to be an episode. Yeah. It's going to be whatever episode would, would air on the network. I think. Um, <clears throat> but I, w- I would I would think there's if, if that ended up happening, if, the, if NXT as we know it today ended up airing on the USA Network weekly, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens in terms of like what does another creative vision with with the with the exposure of the usa network and the the resources behind it of wb what is what does that do and i know that i i'm always uh complaining about how i think the, the creative does do some harm economically to them and and i think a lot of the creative problems that are on the main roster are more absent in nxt so would there be any uh unexpected success of nxt because of that maybe um and there's another point i wanted to make that escapes me at the moment but uh, well, okay, so it's a good, anecdote. I have it's, a, it's I have a good point. Of it's like, a good point. But remember ECW. Yeah. ECW was another brand with another vision that was on a at the time sci-fi. Yeah, but, but you know, sci-fi had it. SmackDown. Pippen set his hands all over that. Some, some, some not. You know, I just I would say I, I think sometimes we wistfully believe and, and sometimes you, that yeah, I know I know I know I'm projecting my my uh, my wishful feelings here. But and, and and would you would you say that ECW was as well booked as NXT is today? I didn't watch a lot of ECW at the time, but my my guess is if I sat down and watched a bunch of ECW episodes, my my opinion would be, no, it, it, NXT is way better. Oh, NXT is way better than the ECW that appeared on Sci-Fi, uh, for the most part. Yeah. You know, uh, you got to see Colin Delaney. That was the only <laughs> thing that was fun. Um, and so, so my anecdote uh, you're you're talking about. Well, um, do do fans who go to the main roster events do they really know who these NXT people are? Um, and I think a lot of them don't. But I, I remember going to that uh, WWE Roadblock event in Toronto, and I think that was the first time that Enzo and Cass appeared before a big main roster crowd. And and like everybody knew their shtick. I mean, not everybody, but enough enough people knew their shtick that it was very loud in the arena when they did their and you can't teach that deal. Um, so I think there's, especially when you talk about a live crowd, who are the people that are going to go to the live event? People who are hardcore enough to go to the live event because they don't just want to casually watch it on television. And those, I think, also tend to be the same people who... Uh, are more aware of who the NXT talents are, and and even if you, I, I do believe you, you do have a lot of people sitting in the seats still who don't watch NXT, who don't know who the current talents in NXT are, but they sure. they teach the crowd or lead the crowd to uh, you know to do what they're expected to do. No, that's very true. That's very very true. Uh, so it, it makes a big difference by which crowd you debut certain talent in front of, you know, AJ getting over in front of the crowd that he got over made a big difference for how he was received right, at the Royal right. Rumble. 
All right. Um, now we can talk about Australia. Australia. <laughs> well, I was just going to point out in, in August 10th, 2002, uh, in Australia at the Colonial Stadium, they WWE held the Global Warning Tour. And it was this huge event, 56,734 people. So an enormous. I mean, that's bigger than Tokyo. One, Dome, one of the right? biggest WWE that's, attendances ever. Yeah. Uh, and the main event was The Rock, Brock Lesnar, Triple H. Um, Especially for you a know, non-WrestleMania. That's probably the biggest ever for a non-WrestleMania. Well, no, SummerSlam 92. Uh, exactly. But it's one of the biggest. Yes, absolutely. And and it was a uh, it was a DVD release. Um, I might have been show, shown in Australia. Might not have. But it was, it was a one-off show. It was kind of during the era when they would have those WWE pay-per-views for just the UK kind of coming off of that. Um, and so it's a huge show. You know, you got Rikishi and, and Rico in a kiss my ass match. Uh, Mark Henry, Randy Orton versus Batista and Devon. Kind of shocking how many of these people in that match have been in the Fed in the last two years. Um, a cruiserweight match with Jamie Noble versus the Hurricane. Uh, tag team had Chavo and Hardcore Holly with Maven versus Billy and Chuck and Rico. So uh, <laughs> we're uh, 0 for 6 in that uh, group there for the most part. Um Singles match with Kurt Angle defeating Test. Uh, world tag team match of Christian and Lance Storm beating Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio. A singles match with Edge and Chris Jericho. And then a bra and panties match with the special referee, the Big Valbelski, of Tori Wilson beating uh, Stacey Keebler. And then, of course, that main event triple threat I mentioned. Uh, and so the rumor is that they're thinking about going back to Australia for a big show. And as kind of was pointed out before, there's no reason not to do pay-per-views in foreign countries now if you can draw a giant house. Um, because when you're on the network and you're just looking for network revenue, it, you're a lot less constrained. And if you're going to get a lot of money for doing it and you can work it into the schedule, it makes sense to do. And so hopefully they will do a uh, global warning tour in, in October, go to the Melbourne K- cricket ground. If this pro wrestling sheet story from uh, Mr. McKenna is true. I think they could do it because I, th- I don't know. I think maybe even a, something that is improved for W even since 2002 is I think they have more hardcore fans who are more and more willing to travel in. So even though obviously it's in one city in Melbourne, I think you could have a lot of Australian fans traveling in to uh, to get a really big attendance. I don't know if it'll be uh, 56,734, but I think it would be, if they choose to do it, a big event that makes big money for them and, and helps them reach those big OEDA dreams that they have. And, of course, the biggest question is, August of t- 2002, why was Nathan Jones not on this card? And if I recall correctly, I think he quit WWE right before this. No, no. He was in WWE in 2003. I don't know if he, he was even working for them by this time. You're right. He was in Zero One at the That's time. Right. He was teaming with Spanky, mm-hmm. Leonardo Spanky, right. versus Fujiwara and uh, Sasuke. I was watching him on uh, VHS tapes around this time. <laughs> You're right. He didn't come into the company until uh, November of 2002. Yeah. And he started doing um, probably a frequent tag uh, house shows. With Tom Howard and people like that. Yeah, <laughs> he and he, he was killing um killing Velboski. Yeah. And right before he left Zero One, he did hand over the Internet Intercontinental Tag Team uh, as Ogawa and Hashimoto beat Heidenreich and him. That's right, Heidenreich wow. too. Oh lord, so, so many uh, a, and then, big prospects were in Zero One around this time. And and the day before, he had defended the title successfully against Jimmy Snuka Jr., uh, who I think is uh, Deuce right. from Deuce and Domino, right. and the Predator, who is uh, uh, 
Turkey. Yes, Wrestle Turkey. Sylvester Turkai. Or, or Predata, and, uh, if you if you were reading uh, Japanese uh, wrestling websites that were translated at the time. Predata. Really? <laughs> Never heard that. Because if you take yeah. the, the, the katakana of his name, it would also translate to Predata, I guess. As well as Predator. You're right. He, it appears that he quit in December of 2003. I just remember because it was it, it, his last match was like in Singapore, and then it was this weird thing where like he like seemed to quit, but then he flew back to the U.S. and everyone was all confused because I think they were going on to like Australia. Yeah, but yeah I think there's Anyways. a lot of unlocked value in WWE doing pay per view events in countries other than the U.S. or Canada, which they have seldom done. I think, and I think I saw a, so W was just recently in Australia, weren't they? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I have that. I seem to remember right. seeing a photo from someone at a, at a recent Australian W house show where it looked like the, uh, the venue was pretty packed and for a house. Show, yeah, they did. That's a, they did a three day tour in September of 2017, going to Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah. And then of course, NXT live did a tour in December of 2016. Do you have any attendances handy for that? For the tour that they just did, uh, the Brisbane, the Sydney and the Melbourne shows, I have no experiences. <laughs> so <laughs> as I click on all three, all right. uh, I, the other ch- place, if anyone's ever trying to figure this out for themselves, wrestling data is a really good website for uh, finding attendances. So I use them a lot when I'm looking for attendances, but uh, I'm not gonna be able to pull that up. And right get now. a lot from but the yeah, so, too. Yes. And so I think that's a good, uh, good uh, ideas for them to do a bigger event there. Um, I'm going to let you talk for a while here because uh, George Berrios gave a UBS talk and we had advertised this, you know, saying, hey, this is going to be a couple days before that India tour. Uh, I sure hope people listen to this. This was the event where a year ago he made reference to WWE making a deal with ICW. And we talked about how no one ever listens to progress. We talked about how no one ever listens to these these talks he gives. And so we tried to listen to it. And then when you click on it, it just says enter the code. Enter your PIN number. <laughs> like, what yeah. PIN number? So uh, we discovered you could fool it if you went back a few pages, and then you could get you could finally get this thing. Yeah. And so I asked you to listen I don't to know it. How it's you about thirty. Out, but you gave me the correct link, and I was able to listen it listen to it through that. Um, yeah. I think I'm the only person, maybe in the world, at least, but at least in wrestling <laughs> media, who has listened to this talk. And we we considered um, headlining this podcast as exclusive comments from a major WWE executive, because I don't think anybody else is going to talk about this, but. But George Berrios, who's the CFO, who's like, I would say he's the number two guy behind Vince on the business side um, in WWE. Yeah, he's also the chief strategy officer and has periodically also been in charge of doing things like the TV rights negotiations. And if you listen to a conference call, it's 90% George, 10% Vince. So occasionally he does these talks where he goes to some conference somewhere and he gives he gives the spiel and he gives the sales pitch about why WWE is great and should probably buy the stock. And then he takes some questions and answers. And, that, and in a lot of ways that's comparable to what the uh, conference calls are quarterly when they do their reports. But uh, And if we look at, you know, we talk about WWE trading over $30 and a lot of that comes from institutional investment. Um, yeah. Investment and also from big companies putting price targets on WWE. So very famously, J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, they initiated coverage of WWE and they put a very high overweight and a high price target on them. When you say initiated coverage, what does that mean? 
that means that they would begin to um, do like quarterly like synopsis for their investors saying, here's our thoughts on WWE and what they said in their conference Does call. Does that mean they're investing so, new money that they weren't investing previously? Not, not necessarily. So you remember um, sometimes I send you kind of the commentary from uh, one of the other banks that after every call, they, they kind of say, here's our thoughts on what they said in this call, and here's our position on what we think is the fair price for this thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, from Mike – oh, one of the coverage guys. Mike What's Hickey? his name? Yes, yes. It's from Mike Hickey. I always send you his coverage, which he sends me um, from uh, – let's see. Which bank is he at? He is at uh, Benchmark Company, among others. Uh, at least one point is that benchmark company. Uh, but yeah, the, the idea here being that, uh, you know, they, they give their comments on basically what do they think is the right price. Now, do they themselves invest their money? Not always. Sometimes they're just much like, um, BTIG, you know, they're not necessarily investing, but they have, they, they come up with commentary. Yeah. So they're and covering, even though stuff. they're not, maybe not investing themselves, but they do have a rooted interest in WWE because they're advising people who are investing. That's the impression I get that they're advise, advising firms or people or whatever who do invest. So, so they're advising people who are buying, who are interested in the company. Yes. And, and I think that's the key here is, is basically when, when they say they're initially coverage, that means you can probably expect to hear them on the conference calls. You can probably expect them to be, you know, getting uh, courted by George. And so, you know, a lot of times they get kind of private meetings with a lot of these executives and private insight. And then they, like, they yeah. and then you'll hear a lot of kind of the coverage kind of seep through where they'll say, we, we feel really good about this because of blank. Um, so it just, it's, it's a big deal because when these big banks want to cover you, that's very different than when it's just these small brokerage firms or these independent advisors, you know, like, um, uh, uh, other, other people who do a really good job of covering it. And I think there's a lot of pitfalls to covering WWE as we often talk. So, uh, at the same time, a lot of the value of the company is about, you know, all these core financial metrics that the market looks at that are sometimes very divorced from what I would say is the reality of the health of the company in other ways. And that's where I always stumble and do the worst is to say, I, I can't predict what the stock price is going to do over time. I can tell you what I think subscriber growth is going to look like, but that's different than what the stock price is going to do. The, the stock price is and, a little bit harder for us to predict, but I do think that I, I've I've told people I, I think I may have even said on this podcast like I think W I think I might have like called into one of one of your one of, one of the podcasts before we started doing this together regularly and said that I think WWE's stock is a good investment long term starting like a couple of years ago at least because they're they had escalating TV rights fees coming and the W network you could count on for incremental growth and uh, I think that you could count on the stock price going up and up at least until these deals get renewed and even now that's looking optimistic. Well, I mean, it's a 52-week range on their stock right now is 18 bucks up to 30. So it has gone quite a, a jump in just the past year. So depending on when you bought in, you probably are, especially today, yeah. almost undoubtedly today, your your investment in WWE is worth more than it was uh, three months ago. Yeah. Now, will it go up and up or have we maybe hit a, a top point? And at what point are we actually going to see the information about where, when they're going to make these deals and coming off those deals i mean it was a plummet last year coming off those deals so there is a lot of future earnings um 
decision making already boiled into the number when you're north of 30 in my mind. Do you think a moderate increase in TV rights fees is built into this price? No, I think I think this is the the world is exploding. We're going to hit two million subscribers, and we're going to get an incredible deal. And um, yeah, I, I I mean the you other think part that's of this is built into this price is two million subscribers. I think there's a lot of optimism built into this this price. I mean, I, do I think two million is the number? No, no. I think they can get do the think, value of two million by tiering, though. Yeah. So exactly. So do, I just I just think they they this is an optimistic price is what I see this as. And plus, it's well above the strike price on that big investment where they took a hundred you know two hundred million dollars of loans basically, and they basically said as collateral for this you can convert it into stock whenever you want at a strike price of I don't remember what the number was maybe twenty seven dollars. And that basically meant you would get the stock and it was worth to you as if you bought it at 27 and then you could immediately turn it into WWE stock at whatever price it's at today. So while you're north of this price, that was a good investment for those people because you can instantly basically convert it into a a commodity that's worth a lot more than it was. And then you could do what you want with that stock. You could take dividends. You could – you know, sell it, you can do, et cetera. So a lot of those people too are hoping, you know, this stock goes to 40 because that's going to be a huge investment for them. Um, I don't see it going to 40 personally, but again, often wrong. Yeah, and also something so, that's, going, that's going on here too. We got an automated email from Seeking Alpha. I got it on November 14th and you probably got it too saying that top portfolio ads and drops uh, from Eminence Capital. So Eminence Capital uh, decided to cash out uh, about a month ago on WWE, and I've got a graph here, one of these graphs that I did on, it's a pie chart actually, that, that I did on WWE ownership, like who owns how many shares, and Vince owns 46%, and then you got all the breakdowns for all the other stockholders, and one of them is Eminence Capital, which is this this firm that, at least in September 2016, owned about 4.5% of WWE shares, so they it looks like they cashed out probably completely. Um, but that's not hurt the stock price. I mean, the, the stock has increased. Stock price has increased since then. So. Yeah, and and plus, keep in mind that two hundred million dollars of loans. Yeah. Um, that's not going to be reflected as ownership of stock. That's going to be reflected as you know this loan amount that went to institutional investors. But it is essentially pseudo stock because WWE also bought warrants basically to cover themselves so that they can issue that stock if there's an issue if there's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a complicated financial transaction, which I barely understood, and uh, I think it was Sir Martin Gale explained it all to me. It's all on my um, on my website if you go to WrestleNomics.com and scroll through. It's a transaction uh, that I still don't understand, in fact. Yeah, but it's a good example of kind of – that's the kind of tomfoolery, financial tomfoolery that WWE is doing that is far more important about than does Jinder win in India or not, but that gets point – one percent of the coverage while the other gets 99 percent of the coverage because one is a story that's easy to grasp that is interesting to wrestling viewers and the other is about business strategy and financial machinations so so this ubs talk uh do you want to just go over all these points here or what yeah just just slam through them so he did this talk with the with ubs and he's, he's mentioned a bunch of things like john cena's followers are 70 percent from outside the u.s and uh, I know later on he mentions that India, uh, what's India is their leading uh, country for for digital video consumption, and uh, that was something that was not. I think I debated whether or not George had actually said this before, but he at least said it here, and maybe he had said it in the past. But uh, we're on SmackDown account for eighty percent of their of their consumption, whatever that means. They're up to eight hundred and twenty nine 
million social media followers. The 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 uh, the race to one billion is, is still on. They're still. Uh, I'm sure they'll make a huge deal of it when they reach a billion. Um, and they, he stressed again that they don't put the same content on all three platforms. And the three platforms that he's referring to are the W Network, pay TV like the USA Network, and YouTube basically. I know they they do Facebook as well. I should mention and W.com where they you know they they do their online video. Um, and George went over six reasons why, well, this is my words, six reasons why W will always rule the world. And what, what he actually said was there are meta trends that play to the strengths of the transformation we've laid out. I love the fact that George every year comes up with new Georgisms. Like he I wish I could be as great, which I think is, it, oh, he it's, loves lists. smart. He knows what listicles are. Yeah, no, he's, I, I just love barrioisms, uh, barriosisms because Every year, I feel like we make the bingo board and we think we got him cornered. And then, you know, he reads some other article or goes to some other talk. And then we get meta trends that play the strengths of the transformation we've laid out. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, transformation. That's going to be the word now. And, and, and that's so why I, people don't cover the, the convertible notes, right? Just because, like, what the fuck is he talking about? I don't know. Well, it's – yeah, it, it is. It's business talk and it's funny on the conference calls how many people are disgusted by the business talk and how many people are um, intrigued because if, you, if you're in some circles, this sounds like every day at the office. Yeah. And if you're in other circles, this sounds like the most foreign, bizarre gibberish ever and it doesn't – If you're the widest it, audience, it's definitely the latter. What is this gibberish? Yeah, and, and also it it oftentimes is unrelated to the micro trends that you're covering in your own world. What's happening with NXT? Is Jinder getting pushed or not? Are they punishing Kevin Owens for this? You know, and that's not related at all to what those business talks end up being. And so I think for some people it's also just frustrating because it's not juicy the way they want yeah, it to George be. George doesn't talk enough about the booking. I wish he would. <laughs> but uh yeah, so the meta trends that play to the strengths of the transformation we've laid out, what are those six? reasons why wwe will rule the world number one live viewership still is really really important he says especially in the pay tv bundle um so they're they they foresee a future where they're always going to be on a bundle and they're and i think they're the top by far they're the top you know wrestling promotion they're well established as a major league so they're always going to exist on that platform they believe um number two acceleration of consumer behavior to direct to consumer and, and i think he's talking about larger trends in the media world or in the consumer world. Yeah, and, and, and the idea that there doesn't have to be any kind of um, middleman. Yeah. You know, pay-per-view, the middleman was the cable company. Now WWE has your account, and they know what you're watching on the network. They don't have to ask anybody. WWE is watching what you watch on the WWE network, as we'll get into. Uh, number three, digital is more and more a destination for longer-form content, not just short-form. So I guess they, they foresee a future where things like YouTube or Facebook – whatever digital video they're producing becomes more important. And I think that's, that's, that's fair. We should be modeling well, that, but it's fair. Yeah. And, and I think at one point, like they talked about, what did we discover? Well, the mobile usage of WWE network was sponsored around things like the short, um, cartoons, mm -hmm. uh, for kids, people were giving that to their kids. So short form was good for digital long form was good for X platform. And I think his, his point is that people are now getting to a point where they're okay watching a movie on their iPad, where a couple of years ago you would hear people complain, I'm not going to watch Netflix on my computer. No, but you will on a mobile device. Um, yeah, so it's it's changed. So digital, I think, has become what originally was thought of as 10-minute YouTube clips is now becoming, I'll watch a movie yeah. on my phone, yeah. even. And, and someday we'll have some better form of Google Glass or something. It'll just be right in our face. 
But uh, number was this four, the hardening, growth, and penetration of broadband, basically saying that, you know, as time goes on, there's going to be more and more availability and affordability of, for broadband. Which is an intriguing claim because if you think about some areas like um, Africa or even South America, they have in some cases uh, leapfrogged broadband and gone completely to a mobile network. And, you know, they, they never put that institutional investment into the utility of broadband. They kind of skipped that step in a lot of cases. Well, what, is so he, it's what interesting. does broadband mean? Does that include cellular data? You're right. You, broadband maybe in this sense is being interpreted as high-speed data connections, mm -hmm. and there is more of those. I just meant in the sense that broadband, if I think about it as the old cable, you know, uh, it, it, that's not necessarily true. But you're right. Maybe, maybe they just mean high-speed connections. And yes, mobile technology has made it much easier for, for high-speed connections, even if you have absolutely no connection, uh, uh, physical connection anymore. Good, good point. Number five, the hardening and growth of banking consumer credit. So I don't know what he means by banking, but consumer credit, I guess, means just as time goes on, people will have more credit via credit cards or whatever. So they'll have more freedom to consume, to buy stuff. Yeah, I think it's the idea of disposable income. I think it's the idea of being able to do um, repetitious uh, account withdrawals. So, you know, there was always this this mindset that WWE fans were so poor that they can't, you know, yeah. that gift cards are going to be huge because they're so poor they can't even have a bank account. You know, I've heard that from people before saying, well, wrestling fans don't even – a lot of them don't have a bank account. They live check to check. And I think you can still find so, with the three-month gift cards for the WWE Network at places like Walmart and whatnot. Yeah, so I, I think it's just part of – he means the global trend, which I'm sure if if we had listened to the other speakers at this UBS conference, they would be talking about how the consumption of more media – because this is a global media and communications conference, the 45th annual by UBS uh, – that these are trends that we're seeing worldwide. And I'm sure, yeah, it plays a bigger role in Brazil and Russia and, and India about whether the banking system is, is rock solid or, or completely decrepit. And, and finally, number six – the number six reason why WWE will always rule the world is uh, growth of the middle class and emerging markets. And of course, there were there were thinking about places like India, Brazil, and and, and China. China. Anything there? <laughs> they are thinking about those three markets, and they will always tell you it's a long term play. And uh, so it's it's a convenient excuse. I'll put it that way. I don't think it's wrong, yeah. but I think it's a convenient excuse because you can always then say, well, it's a long term play and then you can just push it off. And the fact that WWE Studios, you know, I've been told for 10 years it's a long term play, but I would argue probably a lot of it did not work out really well yeah. or according to plan. And probably the Middle and East so I consider there too, right? There's probably yeah, a lot of they, poor people there who will, who will hopefully become you know more middle class as time goes on, and that's why we see talent signed up, not just like Tan Bing from China or Jinder Mahal and and Love Preet from India, but uh, and not just uh, whoever the, the uh, who's who's the uh, the who are the people they've signed from Brazil, Conti. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't say the Conti name. And, 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 the and there's a male uh, wrestler too, yeah. um, Andrian Jarosi, correct something like that. Um, but yeah, but that, and I think that's too why we see you know they they know OSN is a good deal for them and they know the Middle East is a decent market for them and and now we're getting people like this Shadia from from Jordan and I'm mm -hmm. and, uh, and this guy from uh, oh gosh what's his name again <laughs> Nasir uh, Nasir is, is, is his given name he's from Nasir Al Ruwaya so so anyway. 
as time goes on, no, I think I, we'll see a more and more international, at least at least that'll be their attempt, a more and more international WWE. Yeah, I, I, I will always go back to the thing of saying you can't always be everywhere in the world. But the long-term play, you always risk what bedfellows you're making and whether you're doing an opportunity cost of a different investment. So is Japan a market they're not going to concentrate in? Is Mexico a market they're not going to concentrate in because they're focused so much in India and China? And was that the right move? You know, If you look at who are the biggest players in China, um, you won't see necessarily Google and Microsoft as much as you're seeing you know, these other – uh, players that have been come up that both ha- are more willing to play with the uh, uh, state sponsorship, yeah, of of media, and at the same time have been able to succeed and you know kind of keep other competitors out. And so there's always this fear of if I didn't get in soon enough, then I'm going to get screwed. But at the same time, I do fear sometimes that they're overemphasizing these markets and they're losing lucrative markets like Mexico or Australia or other places where they could be making a lot more money right now and at the same time laying the right foundational seeds in these other marketplaces to do more and maybe they just need more focus on that and again if i if someone asked me once like when's the last time russia was mentioned in a wwe presentation i had to go back years and years and it was a different person running international at the time so it says a lot about who is in charge of international and right now de facto it kind of boils up to george it's it's not george it's um the guy from Japan, whose name eludes me at this moment, uh, but it's it's a different person for international, you know, and and it, that has a lot of say. Is that right now George believes heavily in China and India, and so that's why China and India come up so so much, especially India. I think it speaks to the to the non wrestling or you know the non traditional wrestling business approach that they have, which I'm not sure is necessarily wrong. That if you were a, a more traditional wrestling business person, you might think, well, all right. I'm in the U.S., and that's a big market for pro wrestling. What are the other – Ed Wells. Yeah, there you go. What, what are the other he's – not, he's not Japanese. He's gone. Oh, Ed Wells is gone. I totally missed this. Breaking uh, news. Ed, Ed Wells left in July of 2017, and uh, he uh, has not he, – he showed up on that when they did that Africa Super Sport uh, changeover, and uh, he's gone. Love that. I am – you're hearing some breaking news here. You're hearing Chris's true surprise. No, no one reported this in wrestling media. They did. It was on WrestlingOnline.com by Colin uh, uh, Vasalio. Oh, so, uh, so uh, kudos to him. Uh, totally missed that that little piece of information. Uh, I am very curious who's in charge of of WWE right now. They just lost uh, one of their senior. Um, communications guys too just left chris uh Bellili, uh Liddy. i can't say his last name right but uh sounds familiar yeah but um wow i am so i'm really curious now how international has been consolidated and is being controlled i is, is almost true? wonder if like, I should... what's the reference here it is being reported that ed wells left the company after nearly a decade there's no source though well i can tell you this ed wells for a while had a linkedin profile mm-hmm. so uh, that's usually the easiest way to confirm this stuff. That's how I originally remember I I, I yeah. found uh, who is coming and going on WWE Network was just follow who. Uh, yeah, just follow the LinkedIn who, accounts. Is 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 yeah. uh, is WWE? Uh, does it have a, an end date for him on his LinkedIn account now? I'm loading it. It's, yeah, so am I. 
It's going to get all these hits. This is not the number one I'm looking for. Yes, he moved. No, I found it. He is now the head of international for the Sesame Street Workshop. Okay, Ed, Ed Wells looks different than I imagined. I thought we saw him. But anyway, so he's with Sesame oh, no, Street Oh, no, he now. presented. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, if, if you look at kind of his history here, 2007, uh, 06, 07, he worked for Nickelodeon in Japan. Yeah. Spoke Japanese. Oh. And so he was the general manager for Japan from okay. 08, became general manager for Asia from 09 to 11. And then he went on to be kind of the uh, SVP of international from 11 to 2015. And then he spent a year uh, and a little change being the EVP of international uh, for WWE. And now he's on Sesame Street and living in uh, New York. How about but that? he's doing head of international there. So how about that? So I, I, I bet he left because he was like, hey, guys, if you're not going to become more like Japanese wrestling, I'm just going to leave. I, I highly doubt that. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, congratulations to him for his new job yeah. and uh, another guy that uh, we would, should someday get on the show who will never be on the show. <laughs> uh, you never know. But it, with the, never the, know. the uh, rant that I was on was, you know, WWE's obviously got a very different approach than maybe a traditional wrestling business person would take in that, you know, you're in the U.S. where wrestling is very popular and then you might think, well, where are the next markets that are that, where wrestling is really popular? And you would think Japan and Mexico and the U.K., but they're already they've they're more saturated in the UK than they are in Japan and, and Mexico, right? You keep using this word and Vince does not recognize it. What is the word you keep saying? Wrestling? That one, yeah. What is that? I think you mean entertainment. Well it's but what kind of entertainment? Sports, what kind of entertainment? All form entertainment is a global language. Yeah, but what kind of entertainment? We are is storytellers about the triumph of the hero because somebody read a Joseph Campbell book in the last five years here I and call just started fidgety, around entertainment, the office. But what kind of entertainment is WWE? It is profitable, global, um, languageless uh, perfection. It's, it's a hero's journey. It is. So, yeah, uh, WWE has really embarked on a huge investment in their analytics community, though, right? This this has been their big change is with all the data they got, now they, they had to build some kind of a backbone so they could actually deal with it. Yeah. And so I see that that uh, George said data has become central to everything we do. Yeah, he went on a, on a good long spiel about data and what they do with it. He says, we have 10 million user accounts, and I wasn't sure where all these user accounts live he didn't, and I don't think he specified. I don't think there are 10 million user accounts with the WWE Network. That seems too high for a service that only has about one and a half million subscribers. I would, I, yeah, and I remember at one time they had that WWE app. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I'm they sure used there to are advertise w. how many millions of downloads they would get on that app. So I wonder if that's it. If you include all those uh, top slam card accounts and, you know, all the other things that, you know, people have – all the other games and things that they've released, I wonder if those are being included. Yeah. And so he says, you know, compared to Facebook, that might not be a lot. But for a legacy entertainment business, yada, yada, ask around. In other words, he's saying that I don't think there's any other company of uh, that is like WWE that's got as many user accounts that, that we do that we can use to – study all these uh, data points with. So he says we have, he goes through this list of how many different variables they have within their data. And he says we have 400 data points on how people consume content on the network. That's going through genres of, he doesn't say wrestling, but genres of wrestling and eras of wrestling. Um, they've got 80 variables on how you pay, what country you pay from, whether, whether you're paying with credit or debit or something else, when you pay. He's got 200 elements on how you interact with the emails we send you. Uh, that's whether you, we're sending you emails about video, consumer products, or tickets. 1,200 variables on demographics and lifestyle. 
70 variables on how you consume video, what platform you consume it on. That's like whether you're consuming it on a TV, a, a computer, a mobile device. 20 variables on different ways you interact with us, which seems redundant to the other thing I just mentioned. He says tickets, toys, video apparel. I think that's like if you buy something maybe through the W shop, they get some data from you from that. Um, yeah. And he says we have tens of thousands of segments of data. Uh, tens of thousands of segments get created with all that data. So if you watch, for example, a W24 on AJ Styles, you will receive an email tailored to you that says, hey, do you want to watch more AJ Styles stuff and things like that? And that, that, uh, that re- that's reflective of some emails that we've seen and even received saying, hey, Seth Rollins says you should watch WB Survivor Series or, or whatever it was, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I just found from the 2015 Business Partner Summit, they at that time made reference to having 16 million downloads of the WWE app. So the fact they're only saying 10 million user accounts, I, I do wonder how many of those are throwaway email accounts that people have created uh, just to to churn the system through. But um, well, sometimes you know you have I'm to like so I have a I have an iPhone that's only got 16 gigs on it, so I'm always having to like delete apps and then reinstall them to get rid of all this yeah. garbage data. You know, to yeah, yeah, and 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 just having the app did not mean you had an account necessarily. You had to do other things to do get an account. Um, but yeah, it just intrigues me. And yes, they are right. This is this is the this is big data one on one that he's talking about right now, which is basically, you know, you segment everything as much as you can and then you try to cluster it into groups and then see if you can find some thing that appeals to a large enough cluster that then is gonna, you know, give you some kind of incremental outcome. And uh, it's good that they're doing this. I think this is, you know, this is what other modern businesses are doing today. Um, I'm fascinated to know, you know, is is the head of their analytics group, did she come from a big data background? You know, what drives this? I wish we would hear more from those people rather than, you know, uh, George summarizing what they do and more about, you know, actually hearing these kind of people at a conference. I would love to hear kind of how it's going in reality. Um, and, you know, just like India is the future, big data is the future, right? That's the other buzzword in the investment community today. So it's the sort of thing you want to brag about, whether or not it, it reaps huge, huge returns. It makes a lot of sense, though. You know, it sounds like they're trying to link certain things, saying, "Hey, this is the type of person who does this or does that." In the old days, they used to talk a lot more about, "We think this is our old consumer who likes old footage," right? Now they're talking about this is our debit consumer who watches this many hours a week and buys these toys. And so it's kind of funny to see that transformation of how they look at their consumers going from, you know, the type of content they consume and rather instead profiling people by their the ways that they fit into their kind of analytic structure. And then possibly from that applying ideas about what makes someone interested in this content versus that content. Yeah. As, as you're talking, I'm, I'm searching LinkedIn for – WB Analytics, and we got the Vice President of Digital Analytics, uh, Pamela something? Noah Goldenberg, uh, previously worked for, he was Senior Director at Business Intelligence and Data Analytics, she knows, and none, none of these companies sound okay. familiar to me, but... Uh, well, again, a lot of these people are based out of Connecticut, yeah. so I think you're hiring very heavily from a marketplace of other companies that are located near them, New York yeah. City and Connecticut. The, the greater New York City area, yeah. Exactly. So I think that that's pros and cons, right? Yeah. Because we've got a senior VP of data strategy who previously worked for Time Warner Cable. Makes sense. Okay. But anyway, um, ready to move on here to uh, – Well, George said something stunned him. Yeah. What does that mean? He said that uh, 
one of the things that, that stunned us when we started the W Network is we thought it was going to be only about pay-per-views, that people were really going to care mainly about the pay-per-views and not so much about anything else. But what we found out is that people wanted more content. Uh, the, that the kind of content that they wanted more of, though, was the in-ring content. And this, we've talked about this before, but I, this is a, a signal to me that they didn't really understand how hardcore their audience was or, or how hardcore a segment of their audience was. Well, but there's the other argument of they could have invested like in Legends House. to the show right now. Yeah, but they could have invested in Legends House. They could have invest, invested in more documentary features. They could have invested in a lot of different, you know, a table for three or, you know, on the road right. with. And that's not what and he's so referring I think, to. He's talking about the in-ring content that was successful. Like, I think NXT's viewership probably Yeah, and that's my them. point. Is, yeah. is They used to spend a lot of money on producing these other right. shows. When the network launched, it launched with, with yeah. Legends House, which was this series that they couldn't sell to anybody else, that they wanted to, to, they wanted to sell to some other TV channel, and nobody really wanted it. So they just were like, all right, let's put it on the network. Well, oh, same with Swerve, right? So, or uh, uh, Camp WWE or other things, where I think they thought in their mind – People are interested in entertainment content involving WWE angles, and instead they keep getting told, no, they want WWE wrestling. They like in-ring content. And I think that's that was a little bit of a learning for them that, you know, it was not about general entertainment. You know, people always being like, why can I not watch WWE studio films on the WWE network? Wouldn't that be a natural cohesion? But the reality is, A, they probably don't have the rights to do that, and B um, – it, it's probably not what they think is actually going to sell more subscriptions and maintain subscriptions. Yeah. I, I guess it's like, well, why isn't Raw and SmackDown on the W Network? Well, it's on there after 30 days. And I, I, do you think maybe they could get W Films on there after a certain amount of time, after all the distributors that they've made deals with have time to, to, to distribute it? But but like you said, it's probably no. – no, you don't think so? No, because I think they're traditionally they're traditional movies, and so I think their right structures would be very – complicated and it would then involve basically having to figure out either a flat fee to put it on the network which wwe just doesn't want to pay or pay royalties which wwe doesn't want to pay maybe the thing is for the movie movie distributor as i just changed my opinion on the fly maybe the thing is for the movie distributor is that they're going to indefinitely try to sell this video product whether it's video on demand or or, or the discount bin at, at the dvd sales in the, in the electronic section of the department store that's exactly what I've heard them say before is that we, we think this is a way for us to get into a different channel and that we're trying to monetize this, you know, through Netflix and Amazon and other things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it just speaks a lot to the fact that they understand that in-ring content is what worked. Now, I would argue forever that they're getting what they got yeah. because of the way they did things. I don't believe that there's not an appetite for library. I don't believe that there's not an appetite for non-wrestling content. I believe the way they marketed it and the way they presented it and the way that they've executed it has a lot to do with the fact that what they get. But the reality is WWE Network is a niche network. Quincy Jones is launching a jazz-based network. Okay, It raised $160,000 on a Kickstarter, and it's it's getting all these European films. And it's going to be about $9.99 a month or a little bit less if you subscribe for a year. And it's going to get hundreds of subscribers, maybe a few thousand. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that they put it is that he – in the interview, the, the guy basically said, I think of myself as a gastronomic pub. If I have 20 tables and all 20 tables are filled every night, I'm a success. And I think some niche streaming services see themselves very much that way. And the question is what is WWE trying to be? And I think at first they thought they were going to be X, and now they're Y. 
And so I think they've grown to accept the fact that they're not the Netflix of entertainment. They're not just one game they're not even the Netflix away of wrestling. Five million yeah. subs. Yeah, and so I, and that great example. Like there was at one time in one of those surveys something about like, would you like to see a Game of Thrones esque show yeah, using in the most recent survey we looked at? They were asking about a WWE version of Game of Thrones and and I think other stuff and, too. And it's I, and again, I think you'll pigeonhole yourself if you always just do what worked. Right. So you have to have some failures. You know, there's a great strategy to that because you have to scattershot and see if something works a little bit better than something else. Because if you just do the same thing, you're going to refine that down to a hole where you have absolutely nowhere, no leverage to go left or right against it. You'll be in a small little tunnel. So I love the fact that like they're thinking about that. But um, I, I do wonder sometimes if maybe they've overplayed in-ring content as the only driver of our entire business for this to such a point that they're they're going to eventually kind of lose vision of what it could be in other ways. So. But you think we'll there's see. too much wrestling? They're focused too much on wrestling. I think it's easy for them to fall into the trap that the next solution to this is another incremental wrestling show mm-hmm. rather than another solution is something that is catered to an audience that we are not yet reaching that we could reach. And, you know, if you look at what does HBO and Showtime and Cinemax invest in, they invest in a lot of different shows and some work and some don't. And there's different learnings they get from that. And sometimes they stick with things for years and years, even when it has a very minuscule audience, because they think that there's something to it that it will make it more popular in the future. Do you you have any pitches for what a program that's not an in-ring program, but would would make W network more appealing to a wider market. What, what would that program look like? Well, the first one is the financial hour with George Berrios. That would be where fantastic. Um, you know, I, I do think, you know, some people have suggested some kind of a reality show where you actually went behind the scenes and saw the booking mm-hmm. of what was happening, yeah. like a, a true form one. Yeah. And it could um, be after the that, fact, I mean, you could just take months to produce it and then put it after. Yeah. So you're not, so you're not spoiling anything. A little bit like what Total Bellas or Total Divas was intended to have elements of is that behind the scenes kind of look. And I do think there's a lot to that. And it's similar to that Breaking Ground documentary they did with the NXT talent where you kind of saw, hey, so-and-so is getting ahead and they're working out. This guy's getting cut. And I I, I think that stuff, there is a reality audience for that. Yeah. Um, Come to think of it, like, I mean, you look at the podcasts – that W has nothing to do with that are that are getting popular, like the, like the Bruce Pritchard show and the Tony Schiavone show, which I, I've, I've never listened to an episode of, but it sounds like people like it and it's interesting and it's popular. There's no reason why those programs couldn't couldn't be WWE productions, and they yeah. could they could make them even better by uh, you know, implementing video somehow and maybe putting putting them on the network in some form, you know? Because and like we've heard, like there's there's a Tony Schiavone podcast where he. He walks you through some w, WCW pay per view, and then one week, the week that that podcast came out, like that was that that pay per view had jumped up in the rankings on the W Network. Yeah, or or you know, I don't get it, but esports is big. So, is there something about you know esports? Yeah. Is that an avenue that you can go down? And you know, maybe it is actual creative cartoons. I don't know what what the right formula is. I'm not the pitch guy for that, but. I see other ability and I just would hope they're not pigeonholing themselves. Now, at the same time, you know, I love this comment here. Networks region data has helped WWE plan NXT tours. Yeah. And, and if I can make more, to more me, point too, I think one of the reasons why George was stunned or why this in-ring content has been successful for them is I think main roster content 
uh, creates fan frustration and it creates a desire for an alternative. So these super served brands like NXT 205 Live, the UK tournament, the Mae Young Classic, the Cruiserweight Classic, these are alternative forms of wrestling that pe- people, WWE fans, are dying for that they're not getting through the main roster. But it's a presentation that they're that they are using in these other brands that are satisfying people better than, than the main roster is. But anyway. And furthermore, George Berrios might not understand why is that different. Yeah, and I don't think. Yeah, I don't He's, think he does. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Vince understands that. I don't think the the brains of that company really understands the effect of 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 the frustration of their audience. I don't. I don't put Vince quite in the same bucket as George because Vince. Vince, I feel, has a wrestling. Maybe mindset. he understands it. Now, but he certainly doesn't appreciate it because you can you can see evidence yeah, of that yeah, every yeah. Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't appreciate it, but I think he understands it. I, I, I think someone who grew up in a wrestling promotion world gets wrestling promotion. Maybe, Even if they're 100% wrong. He's combative towards it rather, rather yeah, than yeah. trying to adjust sure. to it and accommodate his customers. Absolutely. I No, I, I agree with that 100%. I just mean I, I don't think he's ignorant. I, I don't think anyone should ever accuse Vince McMahon of being a fool when it comes to wrestling. I think he's stubborn. I think he's I uh, inconsistent. Movie, I think he is temperamental. No one should ever consider Vince McMahon a fool when it comes to wrestling. Yeah. But he's he's and so just that idea of being like, but George, on the other hand, I don't know if I think George would just say, well, we have a Kalisto on your main roster. Why would we need a show about Kalistos? You know, it would not make sense. Why? What what exactly is happening here? And that's why he's not. We have a couple of Hispanic stars. Why aren't we big in Latin America? Eh, It must not be that big of a market for us. Let's go to. Yeah. Or like, yeah. What's the difference between a Rey Mysterio and a Sin Cara? Seems the same to me. Right. So it, it's that that sort of thing. So, it, you know, we're, we're putting words in his mouth. He's never said these things. So we don't know how he truly feels. But certainly in these interviews, like he never comes on, across. Welcome. <laughs> um, so uh, but he, he keeps saying we're going to continue to create more content, especially more localized content. And this idea of localization is something that is funny because he talks a lot about it, but he kind of conflates network and television when he talks about localization. Most of the localization that's happened has actually been on television where you can go and see a French version of this show with French hosts or a Indian version of WWE. The other localization has been pay-per-views, right? The ability to actually listen to a pay-per-view commentated in real time by someone who speaks the language that you you speak. So there is some localization both sides and then the WWE uh, UK type thing where you could say – that's localization. We're not quite sure who it's localized for and what they're trying to do with it, but that's some form of localization. And that kind of strides the middle there of it's WWE Network content, also live event stuff, but we're still not clear on what they're doing with it. Yep. And for the remainder of the talk, we're just oh no, we're, we're right before the Q&A, is that he said our challenge is to balance investment and the money that they spend in, in projects like whatever content they're going to put on the network to balance that with their OEBDA and their OEBDA margins, basically their profit margins. Um, and in, in 2018, they say they, they see another year of record revenues and another year of record adjusted OEBDA and another year of record network subs, which are things that we we understood already. Yeah, and, and of course, the, the biggest thing here is that their net cash at the end of the year is a lot different than their OEBDA. And they, they're barely covering their dividends, let alone, you know, their free cash flow. Mm-hmm. Is, is oftentimes not covering their dividends. So it's, it is a situation where they went out and got $200 million of cash to just play with um, for whatever they wanted it to strengthen their balance sheet, which says a lot about kind of what the revenue generation is. I think they're a company that is profitable and there's no way they're not going to be profitable. 
because all you have to do is cut more costs, right? So all you have to do is not run unprofitable tours or raise ticket prices more or uh, just cut back on X, Y. You know, there's so much talent. You could cut back on talent. Um, you can cut back on legal fees by settling things, right? And you, you think it, they would have to cut pretty deep to get into a vicious cycle where they're actually cutting away from their from their ability to make profit. I think the only way that would happen is if they get to a situation where NBCU is not interested in bidding on them, and then they that gets them to a place where they are now in free fall. So you know when 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 they got cut kind of by Viacom. That put them in a bad situation because they had to kind of come hat in hand to NBCU. And I think they're still strong enough in terms of their perception on television that people want them as a numbers game. Yeah. They don't necessarily want them as a brand, but they want them as a numbers game because of the eyeballs they capture. So they'll always have the ability to get another big $100 million deal. It's just a question of can it be a $200 million or a $300 million deal. And you can see that for That's a lot on, on Showbuzz Daily uh, every – week that they post the ratings for Raw and SmackDown, the Raw and SmackDown, even though... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.